fellow kids, and welcome to episode 14 of Hello, fellow kids. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> this is going to be a very long episode. Are you going to be like the Micro Machines guy the whole episode? <laughs> yep. No. What? Wait, what's that? Oh my god, you're going to love this. Go to YouTube and look up like Micro Machines 90s commercial, and there's a guy's like, <laughs> he like talks really fast about everything, about all the cars. You see all these like dumb cars like zipping along, and he's like narrating them being on the track, and then like <laughs> like all the like how um like the information that like they have at the end of radio. Some restrictions apply. Some restrictions apply. You know, like detail, that. But yeah. it, that's the whole commercial. <laughs> it's hilarious, <laughs> or at least it's hilarious when you're a child. It's probably super annoying as an adult, but I recommend checking it out. Hi, hello, fellow kids. Or <laughs> Josh and Mara. Uh, and this is the podcast where we talk about I'm micro not gonna, machines. <laughs> I'm not going to bother because this is the first time we've ever done a sequel. So if you're listening to this as your first episode, you manage out of 14 episodes to choose the exact wrong one. Unless you didn't like the first Fable Haven and you're like, I want to talk about the second one. Which, fair. I mean, opinions. Yeah, opinions oh, are opinions. valid. Opinions. Um, so yeah, this is the first time we have ever done a sequel. Yeah. And that this is going to be interesting for us. Is yep. it? Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm heckling our own podcast. <laughs> you know, we're we're be, dumb. This will be super interesting. Is it? <laughs> Do it. <We> <laughs> Inside jokes from before the recording started. That's what happens when he doesn't put it on. You missed some really great material. He didn't. Oh, fuck you. No, you're gonna, oh, man, sing already. I hate the ding. Before we actually get into this book... I, mean, I, I guess question. I have a question. Yeah. Did did you listen to the first Fable Haven to prepare yourself for this one? I did not. Did you? Yes. How was it? <laughs> oh my god. I hope we do better. But <laughs> Okay. So but... <laughs> we're not. We're not doing better. Okay. <laughs> Before we get into it. Before we get into it, I want to talk about uh, Goodreads readings. Oh, I haven't rated mine yet. That's okay. So, good Goodreads ratings. What I've noticed is that every book in a series tends to have approximately the same rating. And my theory for that is, if you don't like it, you just don't read the next one. So e each book is just kind of filtering down to the people who liked it. Yeah. And then the small portion that dropped off, like, after that book, because they just didn't want to read it anymore. Right. So instead of looking at that metric to determine how quote-unquote good a series is, I've started looking at uh, the number of reviews between books okay. to see, like, how many people that reviewed book one went on to review book two, three, because you can see the kind of the retention rate for that. So I just wanted to go through a couple of these. So from book one to book two for, like, Wings of Fire, 63% went on to read at least book two. Um, Sisters Grimm, 44. Tunnels, 52. Uh, Penderwick's 40 Heroes of Olympus, which I just finished, is at 66, and I assume it has a lot of goodwill from Percy Jackson. Uh, Wildwood, which I started and then gave up after four chapters, 23%. Uh, yeah, does not surprise me. <laughs> Just... <laughs> we will not be recording, covering Wildwood on this podcast. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, you... like, I liked the illustrations, but I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I like the illustrations too. She she did the illustrations for the first, um... She does the whole Benedict Society, doesn't mm, she? I think she just does the first one. Yeah, that's it. Mysterious Benedict Society. Yeah, but I, I like her illustrations a lot. I do too. Um... So twenty three percent for that. I looked up Sally Lockhart because not. Did uh, you look up Sally Lockhart? Because not a whole long time ago you read that, and so yeah. I wanted to give you an idea for like stuff that you like. Okay. Fifty seven percent. Would you like to guess what percent of people came back for Fablehaven two? Gee, um, like in the upper eighties. Ninety two. Oh. 
92%. That doesn't surprise me. This is a very strong series. This is a very... This is... I needed to read this book because I had just plowed through the last three heroes of Olympus mm-hmm. and I was so exhausted because it, it took a thousand more pages to say a lot less than what Percy Jackson was able to do. And it's just so full of filler and stuff that I was just like, I was becoming like disenchanted with YA fantasy. And then I started reading this and I was like, dang, yeah. I needed you. <laughs> yeah, I, I did too because um, I just finished the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer. Oh, that's the... Uh, it's basically the book equivalent of Lost. Like, we're going to have all these interesting elements and stuff, but we're never going to explain anything. And we're going to act like we are, and we're going to give you information that's like, oh, this kind of explains stuff. And you're like, no, you're explaining nothing. You're building it up to nothing. This is such horse shit. Like, I was so upset. So then we get the Fable Haven where it's all like, no, we, we're we going to tell you what we're going to show you, and, and you're not going to really know that. Well, maybe you'll know. Cause I would, but I was like, I'm like, ah, he, he, everything. So like, pay attention to everything. And then everything came around. I was like, that's what I thought. And then even the stuff that I was like, okay, that's pretty much resolved itself. And then it comes back a second uh-huh. time to even more closely tie yeah. together. I'm like, yes, this is what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Brandon Moll's good, but it sounds like he, uh, when I read the acknowledgements, he has a lot of people read like every, each chapter basically it's what we do. Like he, his wife reads it, and like, and she basically like breaks it down, and it's all like, oh, this is what you. Which is okay. like good, yeah. you know. Uh huh. No, he, he doesn't get a feeling like you just don't know what my bigger picture is, right? Or anything. Just like okay, I'm gonna take into account what you guys say, and that's what. A yeah. Good, that's what a good writer does. Yeah. So, when you have a series like this, you kind of write book one that ties itself pretty tightly in nice ribbon in case people don't like it enough to like you know pay you to make the others right once you get to book two you know that you have a multi-book deal so you can start putting in your kind of scaffolding for the rest of the series Uh and this i think navigated that really well of making not only a setup for books three through five and not only being in itself a good like contained story for the most part but it also acted as a more direct sequel to the first book than a lot of other like long form series i've ever read do like, it was very much in conversation with the first book and not just the continuing adventures. It was like, let's look at the fallout of the first book and things like that. Yeah, I just also just finished uh, the first book in the Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvater. Yeah. Mess. Such a damn mess. Oh, no. I was not into oh, it. Oh, no. <laughs> I, and there was, like, a one character I liked. And, and people, like, love the, the Raven Cycle. So I was just reading that, like... <sighs> is such a bummer like yeah. I, i'm not i will i don't want to i don't really want to continue this yeah and then picking up fable and i'm like this is what i did <laughs> thank you so much and it's funny to listen to our first episode where we did this we we're like we're probably not going to co- continue with the books in it but then when we went on with like each book consecutive book that we've read since fable haven fable haven just keeps coming up yeah there's something there that yeah. maybe it like eluded us the first time yeah but then when we came when we returned I was like a few pages in and like Kendra's in her class and I was like, I've missed you. Right? <laughs> I just, I got hit with it. Just like, yes. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Our friend. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk really quickly. We have different copies of the book. I have like the original cover arts and you have uh, different ones. Yeah, and... my cover art is basically an uh, alternate universe cover because <laughs> this scene never happened. Yeah, who? the fog giant. I guess that's the fog giant. Like, Don't yeah. you think? Because he's expelling air through right. his mouth. 
and uh, there and Kendra and Seth are running from it, even though Kendra was not present for the fog giant situation. Yeah, and uh, also Seth was wearing a was a black and red shirt. Yeah, and I remember showing it to you. Go, this is this is a travesty. <laughs> so I put it in my locker, and I find it. I come back to my locker later and take the book out. And Josh has made a little green shirt and taped it to the front, so Seth has a green shirt. He, he never talks about green shirts in this one, though. I was a little disappointed. But he does talk about his survival kit being in the cereal the box. The survival kit's still <laughs> present, though. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, happy belated birthday. Mara just turned 12. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I turned 13. What are we going to do in five years when you've actually aged okay, back up? Okay, <laughs> all right. Birthdays work a different way. I'm back to 12. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. 16. I'm a grandmother. <laughs> you haven't seen that line? <laughs> you mentioned it, uh, I don't know if it was during the recording last time or when we were like walking somewhere, but. It's like, I'm old. How old are you? I'm 16. I'm a grandmother. It's a little girl who goes freaking bats. I love Halloween. <laughs> All right. So do you want to go ahead and should we get in or do yeah. you want to say anything else? Pizza. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> To set up the book before it gets to chapter one. Set us up the book. uh, It has a little quote that says, uh, sitting still would be a mistake. Ignorance is no longer a protection. And that's kind of like preparing you for what's about to happen. I really like that as an opening. It's way better than when some people quote like Shakespeare and stuff thinking that they're the hottest things. To be or not to be. That is the question. You're like, what? (laughs) Like, is the person going to be dealing with suicide? No, they're going to be hunting demons. You're like, what? (laughs) I wonder if anyone's pieced together what the book is. Oh, yeah. Email us what you think the book is at hfkpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I didn't try to remember what the letters were. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know why I was counting on my fingers <clears throat> for that. Uh, and then one other thing. We're going to we're gonna go chapter by chapter. Um, yeah, we're going back to that format. Just ju- for this episode. Yeah, just for this because each chapter is pretty substantial. And I Too wrote... flattering sweet to be substantial. That's more Shakespeare. Chapter 1. The New Student. Kendra is attending the last week of her last year of middle school, chatting it up with her friend Alyssa when Casey Hancock walks in. Casey just moved here from California. Casey is also grotesquely hideous, covered in scabs and oozing pus. Nobody else sees this, however, because Kendra realizes he is a magical creature who is disguising himself as a very handsome young man. The only reason Kendra can see the real Casey is because she got loved on by fairies last summer. Case charms three of Kendra's friends into going to the movies, and Kendra feels she must go too in order to protect them. She goes to the only person she can confide in, her brother Seth, who is now a sixth grader. They grow up so fast! He confirms that Case is, a, is very attractive to anyone who isn't Kendra. Kendra goes to the movies with Case and her friends, and afterwards Case wants to walk Alyssa home. Being an intelligent teenage girl, Kendra convinces Alyssa this is an unwise idea, and they all get rides from Kendra's dad. Already, I'm like, thank yes. God Kendra yes. has a brain. Yes! <laughs> yes! Okay, so, uh, yeah, when the goblin first walks in and he's, like, all messed up and her friends all like, I think I'm in love. And Kendra's like, that's really mean. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. she doesn't realize initially. <laughs> right. It's like, you're being really cruel. And then, like, the other kids are, like, kind of, like, high-fiving cases. He sits down and she's all like, okay, he's under a glamour because eighth graders are not this forgiving of physical or abnormalities. Right. And everyone's like, we're learning a life lesson from other people. Like, I, I think you get more like that as you get older. <laughs> in middle school, you're like, no, your skin looks gross. And that's <laughs> yeah. All there is. So, sorry if you look like this goblin thing. 
if you're a real life goblin, email us at hfgaypodcast.gmail.com. We just get this email. <laughs> I don't speak gooblish. Was it, was it something like that? Gooblish? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when um, Case asks, sits, just sit, just plops down right at their table. Yeah. It's such a breach of etiquette. You do not right. <laughs> sit at someone else's table. Especially the last week. Like, everybody has their spot already. Like Right. Yeah. And um, and then, like, asks all four of the girls to the movies. I wrote, effing bold, dude. <laughs> 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 and, oh, you didn't mention that um, to double check. Like, she's like, okay, what am I actually, What what's everyone seeing? I need to know. So, yeah. you know, so she runs and gets Seth. So, like, can you look at this? And he's all like. Where is he? Seth asked. Over there talking to Lydia Southwell. Kendra said, pointing subtly. The blonde kid? I don't know. Red and black shirt? He is cute, Seth gushed. What does he look like? He has the dreamiest eyes. (laughs) Knock it off, Kendra demanded. He must be thinking the most beautiful thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm like, Seth is fun. I still don't like him a whole super ton, but I feel like third book he you might can get definitely better. see his growth a yes, lot in this, and it's you like can. it's believable. I feel like third book he'll be way better. Yeah, he's getting there. He's getting there. Okay, so when uh, Casey or Case, because he goes by Case, that is so dumb. Right. I mean, Brendan Mull, yeah, good job, but right, like, so dumb. Boys are so idiots. <laughs> Boys are so idiots. <laughs> yeah, I sure showed you, didn't I? <laughs> Chicken sentence. He he. So he goes. He goes to the table with all the girls, and he says, "So what do you do for fun around here? Uh, we start by sitting with people we know." Trina has said, and then he says, "Is this the cool kids' table? I plan to start at the bottom and work my way up." I was like, <laughs> oh, that's vicious. <laughs> like I actually, when I was reading that, like because this is the first time I felt something reading a book in so long, <laughs> that wasn't just frustration. I was like. <gasps> <laughs> oh no you didn't <laughs> yeah i was like <laughs> when uh they go <laughs> i'm dying when they go to the movies uh one of the friends can't go so it's like kendra and her two other friends and her friends on either side of the boy and like compete for his attention and kendra's like so sensible she's like why do girls think it's a good idea for like everyone who likes a boy to like all go to the movies together and like fight over it? Right. Like, you know we can't all win. Yeah. So what is the point you're, of you're this? You're just you're setting you're just, yourselves up to yeah. get in the fight later. So then Alyssa wins for his attention, and like the third friend just like walks away yeah. at the end of the movie. I don't even do you think she says bye. She's yeah. Just she's just gone. She's so pissed. I really liked so right after he. Uh, sits down is when he is, asks them to the movies and he says how about we meet outside the theater at 7 the one on Kendall by the mini mall and that's when I was like he said he just moved here he would have no idea where the movie right. theaters are and I'm like yeah. oh man oh man and so I just I, I don't know or why is he explaining where right. it is to them they right. live there he's, he's trying too much like I am a teenager yeah. who knows with the times like you know some really delusional yeah. adults do when they're on a podcast acting like they're kids <laughs> weirdos Oh, and also, um, with this goblin, Kendra immediately tries to call the grandpa. Yeah. Can't get in touch with yeah. him. So she's like, I'm sending a letter tomorrow. Yep. Like, he needs to know what's up. Yep. So she's just covering all the bases. Right. And it's so smart. And right. Cool. She's so smart, but she's not precocious. Like, right. Like, I'm not, like, sick of her because she's an adult in a kid's body. Right. She's just, she has the right level of 
like awareness for that age she's more cautious than other people but that doesn't make her any less of like a kid it's like it's it's great she's yeah. great yeah good job brandon Mull. good job brandon Mull. also good job uh i believe his name is brandon dorman who does the illustrations i liked the illustrations the illustrations are good take note tunnels also i don't know if you noticed i paid attention because i was really frustrated in the first one that the above each chapter is a picture of the fable haven house yeah they did the same thing here but they actually had it change I said in the first okay. one, I think, that I was frustrated that the picture didn't change. But in this one, there's, like, a fairy that flies around the outside of it. What? Yeah, between the chapters. Oh, I see. Okay. I didn't see it before. Yeah. <gasps> there she is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like he uh, got your memo from the <laughs> podcast. It went back in time. I was like, we need to fix this. He's not happy. Okay, when, cool. When they go to the movies... It says, Case wanted to see Medal of Shame about a serial killer addicted to terrorizing veterans who had won the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I'm like, I'd watch that. How could they have even gone to see that? Wouldn't that be R? <laughs> right? And they're 14. I mean, the goblin probably get in. I'm sure it's really old. <laughs> Perving on little girls. That's what I like about these middle school girls. <laughs> you get older, they stay the same age. It's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Let's talk about... After the movie, when Alyssa really wants to walk home with Case. And oh, she wants, like, the alone time with the boy and stuff. Yeah. And Kendra's just, like, stranger danger. I But but she does it in such, like, a, a level-headed, awesome way. Right, instead of just, like, you can't yeah. do that. It's bad. Yeah, so she goes, think about it. We hardly know anything about him. You just met him today. He's not a little guy. Are you sure you want to go walking alone in the dark with him? Girls can get in a lot of trouble that way. I can tell he's a nice guy. No, you can tell he's good-looking and pretty funny. Lots of psychos seem like nice guys at first. That's why you hang out a few times in public places before you spend time alone, especially when you're 13. I hadn't thought of it that way. Let my dad give both of you a ride. If you want to talk with him, do it in front of your house, not on a dark, lonely street. She's not just saying don't do it. She's like, here's the logical reason yeah. why in a way that you can understand. This isn't I... me being jealous. Right. And, like, trying to ruin your life. Yeah. Like, you can still, like, yeah. have, like, alone times. Yeah. But, like, let's be safe about this. Yeah. And the girl was super receptive to that, so yeah, she's she's good. I guess once you like BS a troll into like taking a massage <laughs> instead <laughs> of being a slave forever, so he'll look in his peeping stone, you can do anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, chapter two, talking to strangers. Oh boy. The next day at school, Alyssa tells Kendra that Case kissed her, but his breath was rancid. <laughs> Kendra is pleased to hear this, but just then their teacher, Mrs. Price, sits down and immediately leaps back up as if she sat on attack. She faints, and when she wakes, she appears bewitched into being a total menace. She demands to know who put the tack in her chair, and Kendra accuses Case, who had been lingering around the teacher's desk. Miss Price declares him the one good and innocent student, attacks Kendra, and when Principal Ford arrives, she attacks him too before fleeing campus. After school, Kendra is stopped by a man in a strange, outdated getup. He introduces himself as Errol Fisk, cogitator, ruminator, innovator, street performer extraordinaire, heaven's special gift to women, and most importantly, kobold exterminator. He heard about Casey from Coulter Dixon, a local friend of Stan Sorensen, who, if anyone has forgotten, is Seth and Kendra's grandpa and the character of Fablehaven. He asks Kendra and Seth to help him take care of the kobold problem the following night. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, um, no. <laughs> when the teacher initially like passes out and falls down and Kendra's the one who's like go to the principal and like this kid runs up to get the principal while they're all like elevator head elevator feet and I'm like 
there's no phone in the classroom to call the office like all of ours yeah. did and i was in middle school back in the now yeah so Alyssa says <laughs> Alyssa says get mr ford elevate her feet someone said no elevator ahead someone else said wait for the nurse a third voice instructed and i wrote we should dig a moat i want to give a shout out to uh my real miss price who was one of my favorite teachers in high school she was the english slash yearbook teacher and she was fantastic and she didn't run at me screaming i wonder what happened to the teacher after this because we find out why this happens later but it's just like is she just so embarrassed she just never comes back (laughs) right i wouldn't right (laughs) (laughs) well guess i'll move (laughs) all right guess i'll die or she can or i don't know maybe come back like i had low blood sugar i'm sorry yeah i can excuse anything Okay. So. No, she basically assaulted students because she was flipping desks with kids in yeah. them. Yeah. So that's pretty bad. <laughs> I think there was some teacher who was fired from my school district for doing that. Throwing a desk with a child in it. And I say child, I mean this was high school. Yeah. Like a four-year-old going, like, no! And like, How do you get to that point where uh, that's your decision to make? Well, I mean, like, angry old men. So, Errol Fisk. Creeper. Creeper. But I I found this interaction really interesting. So he is dressed, it looks like he's 100 years out of style is what it says. And he has like, you know, he's got like the fancy suit and like the, the chain in his pocket. And he says, I wear your Dan Dad's clothes. <laughs> Dan Dad's, yeah. <laughs> so he says, uh, beg your pardon, do you have the time? Uh, his vest had a watch chain. Kendra yeah. pointed at it. Yeah. Isn't that a watch? Just the chain, my girl. I parted with the watch some time ago. Uh, she was wearing a watch, but did not check it. School just got out, so it's a little after 2.40. And I thought that was really clever, because that means she's not taking her eyes off him for a second. Right. Yeah. Brandon Mould doesn't need to really explain all of that, and mm-hmm. it just, like, shows that with how cautious she is with the. And I just like that. Um, I also was entertained by his uh, business card that every time he, like, flipped it would say something different, and I was like... Close-up magic. I was just waiting for just waiting for him to steal something from her. <laughs> and she's like, where's my backpack? He's like, ah! We're running away. <laughs> it's behind your ear. <laughs> and he knows, like, he's like, I know the grandfather's name is Stan, and I know that you're fairy struck. And he's like, well, he knows all these personal details yeah. about us that he wouldn't have known unless he actually was. Yeah, like, she's there. doing everything that she should do, Yeah, pretty much, in terms of, like, because they always have, like, what's your what's the safe word for anybody that's not your parents that comes to pick you up? But then like he's that. like, hey, you want to sneak out of your house and meet me at 9 o'clock? They're like, okay. And I'm like, well, wait, what? Well, she she does acknowledge I that mean, that would normally be a dumb idea. <laughs> I wrote, effing <laughs> what? I also like that he does actually have two watches, but they're both on the same wrist. <laughs> and, what a dipshit. <laughs> but... I also like how Brandon Moore kind of sets this up so you could kind of apply it to your life. You're like, real adults aren't going to, like, who, they're going to need children's help. If he actually needed help with something, he should go to an adult. Right. He wouldn't go to a child. So it's like, have that, you need to be suspicious right. of right. that. Right, The only reason that this makes even a lick of sense is because magic exists in this world. Right. You know, in, in, in other that's, situations. That's what they always told us in school about, that's how children have been abducted. When, like, guys, like, pulls over and is like, hey, gotta get directions here. And it's all like, or how Ted Bundy would get women. He'd be like, oh, can you help me, like, move my, this couch into a van? And they're like, oh, okay, well, you need, look like you need help because you're in a sling. He's like, why is he asking a little woman to do this? He'd, get, he'd ask a big dude if he actually needed help moving it. 
context clues. Right. Like, what, what would happen to me when I was walking through darkness around the edge of an abandoned Toys R Us and someone kept trying to call me from their car? And it's like, if you actually need help, you can go into the Walmart. It is open. Yeah. You don't need my help. And I just kept walking. Right. <laughs> Be rude is what I'm saying. If your rudeness is motivated by you feeling uncomfortable, follow that rudeness. Not it, rather than like, oh, I was in a public place and someone approached me. I go, F off, loser. Like, that's rudeness. Right. Like, unnecessary. Right. Just be safe in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Or she says, so you do have a pocket watch. Sadly, no, that was true. Pawn shop. I needed to buy combs for my girlfriend. Kendra smiled, getting the reference. I, I don't get the reference. Oh, Henry. Right. It's an O. Henry mis- uh, reference to Gift of the Magi. The guy saw. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You, do you I, know the story? I, I know Gift of the Magi. Yeah, I just okay. didn't know the yeah. specifics. Yeah. Um, but I wrote Ask Mara. <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, that's a good story. So at the end of the first chapter, I wrote, this book is a breath of fresh air after reading The Heroes of Olympus. Then after this chapter, I wrote, this this book is a breath of fresh air after Starship Troopers, because I just read that, and it's one of the worst books I've ever oh, read yeah, in my life. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw your review of one star. I'm oh, like, yeah. Oh, no. No, I would give it zero stars if I could. <laughs> I love when people say that in the reviews. <laughs> I'd give it zero if I could. I'm like, why don't they make that an option? <laughs> I, I love that, and I hate the people who say, I don't use five stars, because no book is perfect. I'm like, the point of five stars isn't that's perfect. It's that you really, 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 it's like yeah, upper echelon of yeah. books. That's like the teachers are like, I never give A's. And it's like, well, I'm leaving your class. Right, because the point isn't that it's perfect. The point is that it's the best of what you have, you right. know? <laughs> the best, the best. <laughs> <laughs> and then 10 hours later, we get back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they just kept shutting the best that's over true. and over. And then I go to the next episode and it's, Somebody, somebody. somebody. <laughs> <laughs> One star. I'd give it at zero if I could. <laughs> That'd be a good April Fool's joke, honestly. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> anyway. Chapter three, extermination. We're holding on chapter three. Okay, sorry. Hi. Chapter three, extermination procedures. Errol picks up Kendra and Seth from the local convenience store and drives them to Mangum Funeral Home to exterminate... Casey, they need to steal a toad figurine. Cover art alert from Archibald Magum. Not for your cover. Our yours has the dumb scene that never happened. Yeah. But mine has the, the toad statue. But it was supposed to look more dynamic and get in the kids who like action, I guess. They need to steal a toad figurine from Archibald Mangum, the vampiric but not a vampire owner, who is conveniently not home. Seth is the only one who can enter the premises because he is under 14 years old and still has a natural immunity to most enchantments. One mop dog and an axe through the door later, Seth finds the statue. Uh, he feeds it a dog biscuit, which makes it briefly aggressive, but also allows it to be transported. Seth brings the statue back to the van, nursing his vicious fake toad bite. When I say mop dog, I'm referring to those dogs with, like, the the really shaggy white fur that, like, you can't see their eyes or anything, and they're, they're just little fluff beans. Well, yeah. Well, uh, I like that when they go to meet him, and Kendra's still not liking this completely and she asked she's like can you just tell us if you're kidnapping us like right the suspense is bothering me. He's, like, he's like i'm not <laughs> the suspense is worse than the kidnapping and at she's this point. still been trying to keep get in touch with grandpa yeah. Sorensen. so she you know she has all this like oh well i'm completely fine with this and that completely 100 percent suckered in like seth uh he tells them like oh yeah go into that vampire's mortuary and get a frog figurine there might be zombies have fun and she's like no and seth gives her crap about it he's like funny you're so brave you're the one who has to go in and he's like oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) have you heard of a blix before no did he make this up i'm not sure so 
a Blix, when I say that he's vampiric but not a vampire, this is where we're introduced to the concept of the Blix. Oh, yeah. Which is a grouping of different... It's a, it's a bunch of different magical species that have different powers over, like, Narcoblix can control victims while they sleep. Uh, Viviblix is the one that he thinks it is, which can reanimate the dead. There's the Lectoblix, which uh, ages you. Oh. <laughs> That's the Lactoblix. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Lectoblix, a species that ages swiftly and must drain the youth of others to survive. Uh, so there are a bunch of different kinds that all have different specific powers, and we are introduced to this concept. And like almost everything in the book, it has a great payoff later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he completely shined a light on what was going to happen. And I was just like kind of skimming over it like, I don't really care. Because <laughs> he knows we'll do that. <laughs> and then you get to the end, you're like, I should have known! Wait, <laughs> I know this! <laughs> Because I was just like, oh, yeah, muggle, uh-huh. You know, it was like the when they bring out, when they trot out the fakey-sounding words for yeah. stuff, I always just like, ah. It's <laughs> like, that, hate that crap. And it's like, oh, there are these, like, species of, of animals. They're called whirligigs and part of the whirligig. And I was like, whirligig? And I got, like, really irritated with that. Sorry, Brandon Mole, but, like, it was really irritating to me. But, like, <laughs> just use the same scientific terms for what, like, you know, the species and the family of such and such, and, you know. But I mean, all, in the kingdom of all things considered, if that's what you're complaining about, you know, yeah. like <laughs> oh, small potatoes compared to some of the crap I've been reading lately. <laughs> like, yes, like poor, poor Josh Amar. I've been reading garbage lately, so I was just like, yes, something good. Outside of the podcast, because our last outside row of the podcast, solid. we mean, yeah. yeah. I like the dog. I was like, this is a really. I, I was already suspicious, so I was like, that's not a very good guard dog. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> like, you like, give you half a biscuit, dog's like, I guess you're okay. Yeah, so there, there's, like, there's a security thing, and he puts in the code, and then there's this dog that is totally not a guard dog. No. And then he can't get through the locked door, so he just takes an axe to it. <laughs> right. I mean, perfect. No, Seth is good at getting into places. I, I, didn't he, like, just kick the door? He, like, got on his back and kicked the door down to the boathouse for them to get into the boathouse? Yeah, something like or, that. He's, no, it was the barn. Is the barn. Yeah. But he's pretty resourceful. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so that's the person to send in. Uh, I liked the fact that they talked about how uh, different ages have different types of, like, magical restrictions. And that was why he could go in was because he was still under a certain age threshold. It wasn't like he spent five pages talking about midichlorians and why all of this, like, happens and stuff that no one cares about. But he just gives one paragraph explaining the logic of the magic and it's like, that's enough. Yeah. Well, because then you get, like, the smarty pants people are like, oh, yeah, well, what if, like, your kid wanders in? Does that mean it's going to kill them? And this is a badly made world. <laughs> if children can die, if they want to do it, then it's like, no, because it's like, they're probably not a threat. I'll be fine. Yeah. And then and then they don't even listen when you try and explain. They're like, no, no, I like my dumbass theory of how I'm smarter than everyone. And you're like, all right. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe it was just supposed to be fun? I don't like fun. Well, I have heard that a couple times. Right? <laughs> it's for real. I am picturing him. <laughs> Chapter four. Vanessa. Vanessa. On the last day of school, <laughs> on the last day of school, Kendra gifts Casey with the frog statue, which is an important kobold relic that forces the kobold possessing it to return it to a shrine in the Himalayas. Happy trails, Casey! <laughs> Since their last heist went so well, Errol asked the Sorensen kids to help him commit, commit another minor act of larceny, this time targeting an amulet owned by a member of the Society of the Evening Star, a clandestine organization that wants to destroy all magical preserves and release the trapped demons. Kendra decides to contact her grandpa to confirm Errol is legit, and surprise, he isn't. We talked about how she couldn't get him on the phone, but now 
his phone is working again and she's like and he didn't get her letter yeah his letter her letter was intercepted but uh surprise he is not legit he's likely a member of the evening star himself and the owner of the frog statue is a good friend of grandpa Sorensen. grandpa sends another friend to bring the kids back to fable haven the friend vanessa arrives gives the kids the safe word phrase us and loads them into her sports car they peel out but are followed by errol in his creeper van a large straw golem sort of creature uh called a dullian i haven't seen the word before Creature called the Dillian tries to block their progress and does a good bit of vehicular damage, but they escape. Vanessa tells the kids the truth. The frog statue was a trapped demon called Olic the Glutton, and feeding it broke his binding spell. They continue to do 150 with no headlights all the way to Fablehaven. <laughs> Alright, so when Case goes out, they're still in school, and the substitute teacher's like, Hey, where are you going? The restroom? You need a hall pass. Ten to one, I can manage without one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ten to one, you're heading to the principal's office. <laughs> like it's not as good as what the kids said. Right. And then like, no, you. <laughs> and, then he, and then and then he goes, "I'll take that bet, five hundred dollars. That would be what three years earnings." <laughs> Just like I love the stats in these books. I was in the all time like I would. I am so the same as I was, but you know, am still now. But Will be I would have I would have eaten this up. I was like, I love when books are confident enough. To have snappy, sassy dialogue and not bring attention to it. When they're not like, hey, look at how clever I'm being all the time. They just put it out there and it's up to you to like add in the tone and be like, that's phenomenal. As soon as the kobold left, I was like, he's coming back. Maybe not in this book, but at some point. Maybe he's... not the next book, but eventually <laughs> he will be back. And the next day, and the next day. I wanted to throttle the, the crap out of Seth because... Uh, Kendra still was like, I just, I still don't think we should go on this like overnight trip with this guy that we still hardly know, and yeah. I still haven't vetted him with Grandpa yet. Right. And Seth's like, you're a traitor and a coward. And you're like, traitor to what? This dude we just met? How am I a coward? I saved your ass single-handed well, right. with like millions of fairies. Right. But like, she doesn't need to prove how brave she is. Yeah. And Seth needs to shut up. Like, I was, I was, I was sitting there the whole time while like, you're making this a three-star book, Seth. Step it up. <laughs> and he did. He steps up. He, he steps, steps up. up. He steps up. Uh, so at one point, I was disagreeing with Kendra, and I was agreeing with him, and I was like, what effed up pageantry is this? <laughs> I am on Seth's side. Anyway, yeah. So she finally gets in contact with Grandpa Sorensen. And she's like, Errol said Coulter found out about the kobold and recruited him to help us get rid of it. Uh, when did this happen? This week. Grandpa paused. Kendra, Coulter has been here at Fablehaven for more than a month. I was thinking, and who was fine? Coulter <laughs> <laughs> um, hasn't been in that area of the country for 20 years. Yeah, like... <laughs> that kind of thing. Like, maybe it was just because I really wanted to be invested in something, but I was actually, like, a little bit surprised at that point. Like, I know I shouldn't have been, but I was just so excited to read something where I cared about what was going to happen. Oh, apparently Grandpa fell off a roof. Or the mom says Grandpa fell off a roof. And Grandpa's like, uh, something Yeah, happened. it's, it's, there was no I'll tell roof, you later. But yeah, we'll tell you. That's what, and the, yeah, that's what, and then Vanessa's like, no information for anything. And they're like, ugh, so I have to be like quiet for like two hours and not hear anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> that would have killed me. So I was kind of with him on that. So this, uh, Vanessa woman arrives and 
she's, you know, acting all, like, nice and stuff. Oh, I'll take good care of the p- kids. There was no trouble at all. I was on my way anyways. And as soon as the kids get in the car, she's just like, how long has he been here? Like, she just immediately goes into business mode. E.T. dubs kaleidoscope. I'm like, yeah. okay, you said grandpa's safe word. Go yeah. <laughs> okay. We know you're okay. <laughs> yeah. So he, she's like, how long has he been there? She asks, switching on the lights, throwing the manual transmission into gear and pulling forward. And just throw, this is some VFD shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> But I was digging that it. That loves back in the car. I was digging it. And she has like this super custom sports car that's like can stack up against a bunch of like magical creatures. Yeah, yeah. He's all like, oh, is this a Ferrari? And she's like, oh no, it was custom made for me. He's like, could you hook me up with your guy? And the mom's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Just something like that. I'm just like, I love the parents. Harold. <laughs> I'm really digging Vanessa at this point. I think she's super cool. Um, I was kind of along with, um, I was actually with Kendra's like, instinct of like i don't like her when when uh i, I wrote it bitchily though in my notes where uh it's like vanessa's a hottie who likes male attention so kendra doesn't like her <laughs> i was just like i don't know you kind of should follow your like your instinct of like i don't, I don't yeah. know yeah because that means i took that less as like she's jealous and more like she isn't above manipulation in that kind of way so we should be nervous so right. i was nervous throughout the book right I was suspicious of everybody just because of like straight up like arrows. So I was sitting there the whole time like oh, I'll tell you later. But like <laughs> there's one character that shows up and I just kept waiting for his like about face. So I was like okay do it. I know you're gonna do it so just do it. And he doesn't. I'm like oh okay. Right. Like, I was tense and stressed for no reason. <laughs> right. So, you're so like, that's what kept this from you're, being a five like, star. You're like you've already broken my trust once. I will not trust for the rest of the book. <laughs> I was just like, you shouldn't trust anybody. And then like at the very, very end, it's like, yeah, they shouldn't have. And, and I, yeah, so that kept it from being five stars for me just because of constant stress. It felt like, like how much like betrayals keep happening in this book. It felt like watching the, um, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Because uh-huh. how many like twists, twists, twists. And you know, like, sorry, Jack, I won't be your leverage. And I was so sitting there all the whole thing like, I won't be your leverage, Jack. Like, I can't handle this. <laughs> but, but Yeah. Not quite five stars, but could have been if I wasn't stressed. Chapter five. New arrivals. The gang arrives at Fablehaven late at night to find Grandpa Swordson battered and bruised, but in good spirits. He is flanked by two new Fablehaven helpers, the big, soft-spoken Tanu, a potion maker, and the wiry Coulter Dixon, an artifact expert. Grandpa Swordson and Dale are also pleased to see them, and I hope the big golem Hugo is still there. The kids go to their room where Seth... Sh- where Seth shows the collection of C batteries he brought to sell the satyrs for their portable TV. I read that bit and I pictured you going, ah! I laughed so hard. I don't laugh out loud when I read books very often. I lost it. I was picturing your reaction. Oh my and start- gosh, I laughed that out. was so good. I laughed out loud too because I was just waiting for it. Ah. Yeah, yeah, we get we get the satyrs in this one. They're my favorite characters in this whole book. Oh yeah, <laughs> they. Oh my god, if he did a spinoff series of just they're the like, satyrs, they're like your favorite characters of anything we've read, pretty yes! much. <laughs> I, like I so sincerely love them. They're just they never disappoint. The next morning, we get answers. The Evening Star has been very active and has taken down two magical preserves since book one. They're searching for the five secret sanctuaries, each of which has hidden within an artifact of immense power that, if they're all brought together, will unlock uh, Zizix, the demon prison. The Conservators' Alliance, led by a being called the Sphinx, has been working to stop them, and the added need for security is why there are so many new helpers at Fablehaven. Furthermore, Grandpa Sorensen explains that Alk the Glutton, 
the statue that bit Seth, will continue to eat and grow until he finds and consumes the one who awakened him, Seth. As for Grandpa's injuries, he was attacked by an imp after Grandpa caught him passing information to a stranger at the Fablehaven border. Grandpa plans to introduce the kids to the Sphinx soon to figure out why the Evening Star is so interested in them, especially Kendra. Until then, the kids will help Vanessa, Tanu, and Coulter search for Fablehaven's hidden artifact and move it to a safer location and pick up some new skills that will help them in the challenges to come. So, I have, I have a problem with, uh, with Grandpa Stan's name because I keep conflating it with Grandpa Seth from Troll 2 and Grunkle Stan from Gravity Falls. Okay. <laughs> so it's like halfway between the two and every time I read it, I'm like, Grunkle Stan, nope, Grandpa Seth, nope. This is a very particular problem for people who read Fable Haven, watch Gravity Falls, and have seen Troll 2 five times. I'm just picturing that Venn diagram. <laughs> wow, a Venn diagram that managed to perfectly explain this... Josh and no one else. Yeah, there's just this you in the middle. <laughs> With a big smile. I'm confused. The kids go back to the, uh, the, the room where they stayed last summer. And it says, as Kendra entered the attic playroom, it felt familiar and safe in spite of the night when she and her brother were pinned inside a circle of salt by ferocious invaders. And I wrote, we don't talk about that night around Mara. The creepy lady? Yeah. Who is still at large. Right. Was not in this book. So she's going to show up again. You know right. she will. Because I absolutely trust him to bring things back. Right. He will. <laughs> Can I read the batteries? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Seth dug into his suitcase. Can you keep a secret? He asked. Kendra crouched to unzip her duffel bag. Yes, but you can't, so I'm sure you'll tell me either way. He pulled a jumbo pack of size C batteries from his suitcase. I'm gonna leave here a millionaire. He he just has this whole, like, his entrepreneurship is so great. <laughs> the scene is, like, entertaining, but it's the payoff. Yeah. Of, like, oh my gosh. Like, we're going, we're going full Fable Haven with this. It's a setup you know? from the first book. Yeah. And you're all like, ah! <laughs> Just because I remember you being so entertained. You're like, it's so specific. C batteries. Yeah. <laughs> and, he gets, and I was like, what the F even are C batteries? Because <laughs> like, I didn't know. And yeah. then you explained what they were. Oh, I like when they're about to go into their conference. And there's like, every all the info has to be super kept super secret from everyone's Seth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, why never mind? I'm like, because you're the weak link here. Also, I was questioning the um, wisdom of moving these artifacts right because it's yeah. like it's like while they're moving they're even more vulnerable right. than... so I, I like i said just let it stay hidden ffs <laughs> just because they don't know where it is there's like right. they just know it's here it's like well then just let it let it lie yeah uh actually is... it wasn't where i assumed it was <laughs> this chapter is the first time it mentions the demon from the first book and i crossed out every instance of it wrote bath mat oh my, my brain auto-corrected to a bath mat <laughs> yeah i did never i never tried to pronounce what the actual name is no one person pretty much knows where all the artifacts are or where all of the different secret secret preserves are because there's a bunch of preserves and a handful of them aren't actually mapped and fablehaven is one of them and not even the owners of fablehaven know where the artifact is so they have to they, that's why they're doing the whole search thing and uh, i just want to bring up the phrase the inverted tower because that is supposedly where it's located, but they haven't found the inverted tower yet. I'm just saying that because I forgot to put it a whole lot in my uh, synopsis. Yeah, so put too. a pin in that phrase. Chapter 6, Tanu. Kendra and Seth have their first lesson with Tanu. He begins with a demonstration, Essences of Emotions. He gives each kid a very small sample of a negative emotion because trying a positive one might be addictive. Right. Seth chooses fear, 
which induces a brief but vicious sense of paranoia, and Seth claims that Tanu poisoned him. The feeling passes quickly, and Kendra asks Tanu to choose an emotion for her. He does, and she experiences a brief panic about acne that makes her want to run away. Tanu explains after the feeling subsides that he combines sorrow and embarrassment to get shame. With the demonstration over, Dale takes Tanu and the kids out to his brother Warren's cabin. You may remember that Warren was mysteriously rendered almost catatonic two years ago. The unknown incident has rendered him albino and almost unresponsive, save to touch, uh, which can guide him to perform certain repetitive tasks. Kendra's touch seems to have a profound effect, and Tanu asks her to kiss Warren. This sounds creepy, but fairy kisses have a history of magical properties, and Kendra's fairy struck, so her kiss may have some power. I still didn't like it. Uh, it does seem to wake Warren more, but only briefly. Dale explains that Warren was part of the Knights of the Dawn, a clandestine opponent to the Evening Star. Dale plans to continue searching for a cure for Warren until the end of time. It's one of those things where it's like, it's creepy, but there's an understandable reason for it. So I tried to suspend that as much as possible to be like, historically in fairy tales, kisses have magical properties. You know, that's been in all the Disney yeah, movies, all of that. So I have, I have to be like, okay, I get where you're going with that. I'm still uncomfortable. <laughs> you can be uncomfortable. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying like one star because of that one scene where I felt uncomfortable. But I'm just like, mm, no, I was just like, stop it. And I was like, how much further is it going to go? Like, okay, now reach in his pants. And I'm like, no, stop it. <laughs> Fable Haven by E.L. James. I was just like, do I even want to check online to see if anyone <laughs> wrote that? And I'm like, eh, I don't want to know. So I did not Google just to make sure. Like fan fiction? Don't you think? Yeah. And then like the tags will be all like, aged up, Kendra. I'm going to hell. I know this is bad. You're overthinking it, though. And I'm like, I was thinking it. Aged up Kendra. <laughs> I write her exactly the same. I just say she's 18. Exactly. That suddenly makes me not creepy. When the, after the meeting of Dale sees him, he goes, are you guys ready for summer school? I immediately thought of Ferris Bueller. And like, they don't, I wrote, they don't know Ferris. Because it's like, hey, you know Ferris Bueller? Yeah, he's getting me out of summer school. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, I hope he doesn't die. Can't handle summer school. <laughs> I, was, I kept thinking. And then I had the giggles. it's been a long time since i've seen that movie i just remember i watched it at the exact right age you're supposed to watch it and i didn't like it (laughs) so i i grew up watching it i don't even remember seeing it for the first time it was like my dad (laughs) my dad was obsessed with the movie for like a few months so he watched it every single day (laughs) so tanu is uh samoan and when they first sit down to have their little class he says do you have any questions seth goes are you from hawaii I grew up in Pasadena, but my ancestors are from Anaheim. And he, he gives that smile of like, I know what you're asking. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just going to mess with you for a bit. I liked, I liked that. Yeah. I liked him. He's a, he, I, I want to see more of his character. Because uh, white people do that a lot. So where are you from? You're like, oh, I'm from like Phoenix. Like, but where, no, are, you where really are you really from? from? Yeah. What do you mean really from? Right. I've only ever been from Phoenix. Right. Where are you from, asshole? <laughs> well, wasn't it even weird, but this horrible flashback to... Uh, eighth or ninth grade or something and we were talking me and my friend were talking about whose line is it anyway and how much we liked it and she goes i really like the colored guy and i thought what and i'm, I'm picturing some like blue man group type people right. or something and i'm like what do you we then i like sat there for a bit and went so i thought of like those like the the um water fountains and i was like wayne brady <laughs> i go he's black which emotion would you have chosen? He gives the options of rage, fear, embarrassment, and sorrow. I think I would have been like Seth. I would have picked fear. 
Especially when you're just like, there's actually nothing here to be afraid of. So what? how's my brain going to justify the fear? So it'd be interesting. I would have picked sorrow. I don't like being sad. I feel like I feel like if I could induce a good cry every like six months, that would actually be beneficial. I do that just fine on my own is the thing. Right. So, <laughs> I don't need that. Well, I was, so just, I, was like, yeah. I was like, fear, okay. I was just thinking about the other emotions and I felt like they would linger on me for a lot longer, even if they were artificially, because then I would find ways to justify it myself after the fact. Um, and I don't like the way embarrassment feels. I feel that all the time, too. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go with fear. Yeah. Because I've been disappointed by so many horror movies that turn out to, like, not really be that scary or rely too much on jump scares. So it's like, no, give me right. a really good, scary feeling. Yeah. And it, I don't think I would have been fear like, you poisoned me. I would have been like, I thought I saw something in the corner of my eye. There's a ghost in this house. Have you watched the Paranormal <laughs> Activity movies? I have. Okay. So. I like the first one a lot. I, my favorite is the third one. Um, I like that one too. But the oscillating fan yes! cam is the greatest How invention in horror is that? movies. Oh um, my god. But I saw the second one in theaters with a bunch of friends, and that has one phenomenal jump scare and one phenomenal dread. Which when is all the things open in the kitchen. When the the kitchen explodes. Yeah. One of the best jump scares I've ever seen. And then the ending is fantastic because all it does is give you a black screen for a full minute before the credits roll. So you're just waiting for the last little bit to happen and then it doesn't. Like, that's... Mm. <laughs> uh, I kissed my fingertips yeah. that you're supposed to do to, like, chefs. I do that a lot for uh, inappropriate things. Yeah, so after after Kendra is done... Uh, no, after Seth is done, Tanu explains, your mind was searching for threats to justify the emotion. And I was like, we do this in life a lot, too, uh, where you kind of... You, you have a feeling, and then you try to find a way to justify the feeling. And uh, the first thing that came to mind was, because I was talking about it with my mom, is... Uh, violence in video games and how it affects people because every single study that has ever been done shows that there's no correlation whatsoever but people that don't know video games were very well already made the emotional jump that it causes violence in kids so they just find reasons to justify it mm -hmm. so that's interesting how like he punched his brother in the back of the head it's clearly because he played video games like no he has a brother that's why I punched him in the right. back of the head. <laughs> I never played, I didn't play very many video games, and I punched my brother in the back of the head. Right. It's what you do. You yeah. see their big, fat, stupid head, and you're like, <laughs> like punch it. They don't even have to do anything. It's yeah. Like your what was that for? You were here. You were here, and I don't like you very much. <laughs> that didn't really happen. I never punched my brother in the back of the head for no reason. Yeah, me either. You don't have a brother. I didn't punch your brother either. Good thing he didn't. He could kill you. I don't think he will, just that he could. I took karate. Don't you both have to be in agreement to do karate yes. in order for that to be any good? Yeah, that's the big thing. Is okay. my my parents were like, but now you know what to do if you get in trouble. I'm like, no, no, I now know what to do if someone challenges me to a very specific match with my exact same style of karate. Well, didn't you like <laughs> learn some like movements so you can kind of duck away from shit? Or... I know how to duck away from proper attacks. I don't know how to duck from a haymaker. They don't teach like big white because they don't want you to telegraph your attacks. So it'd be like, here's how you block when something's coming directly from their side. And be like, okay, but no one does that on the street. Okay. They just swing a knife at my throat. Right. I don't know how to do anything for that. That was a separate class. So all the movies where it's like, oh, he's such a good fighter because he took years and years of martial arts and then like takes on like a street gang and like single handedly takes down the street gang. And they're all like, look how great he is. That's like. BS? Yeah, I mean... You mean that's not real? <laughs> unless your martial art is specifically for, like, taking down any sort of attacker, attacker you know, if, it, if it's a self-defense so course. So if you took a self-defense course in tandem with the karate, it would have been Far more better. effective. Okay. And a lot of the a lot of the people actually did that. They had a lot okay. of, like, uh, you know, we weapon disarming classes on the weekends and stuff like that. 
I know, I know, especially a lot of the women uh, took all those right. courses, which yeah. makes sense yeah. statistically. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> I didn't take them just because I didn't want to go in on the weekends, but it would have been far more useful. <laughs> yeah. I, my mom had me take self-defense classes when I was a kid. I don't know how effective it was. Because <laughs> then when the guy, the guy comes at you, like I'd always panic and just do the same thing. I was like, nah! I was like, pull away, and I'd get away just by dumb luck. And they're like, Mom's like, why don't you use any of the moves you learned? It's like, I panicked. My mom just sits on the ground. If she gets, like, startled, she just sits on the ground. Oh. I mean, you can dodge was, the first attack that if way, If she I was guess. startled by, like, axes that swing down from the ceiling and decapitate <laughs> everyone, she'd be okay. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> like those tripwire, like oh, like axe things in like uh, tombs. Did you ever in, see? Like, did did you ever see your next? Yes. Uh, yeah. So she wouldn't be the person right. running through the doorway and garroting herself. I love that movie, by the way. I do too. <laughs> I saw it like like right. Well, I've been divorced for a little bit. Yeah. But it's basically that girl going and meeting her in-laws. Well, yeah. They were not married yet. So yeah. then all the in-laws being crappy, then all of them getting picked up on one. And I was like, yes! <laughs> I was like, I needed this! <laughs> so I was like in the theater with just one other dude and I was laughing right. for the whole thing what and I, cackling. And he turned yeah. to look at me no, a few times. Because what I loved about it was I started kind of <laughs> creeped out and then I was laughing a lot. And then after the movie, I was like, but it's still... It didn't, like, undo its, like, creepiness and its tension. It was still existed. They were able to exist simultaneously. I was like, that's really cool. a bunch of unlikable people getting picked off. Right. So you don't care that much. Right. But they're unlikable instead of, like, make them actively unlikable. Don't make them just a body that exists to be killed. Or which tell, is what they're most... telling you they're unlikable. It's like, no, right. make them be unlikable. Right. And they were. So fable. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, chapter 7, The Dungeon. The next morning, the new helpers plan to explore an uncharted part of the preserve, but Vanessa's drum ants are loose. Drum ants are sort of like tarantulas with tails and are normally very poisonous, but Vanessa has selectively bred them to be less deadly. She suspects foul play from someone who didn't know they weren't lethal. Put a pin in that, though, because while the helpers go adventuring, Grandma is taking the kids to the dungeon. This is where the most dangerous magical criminals are held, serving mostly life sentences. Down here, the kids hear the story of the time Grandma tried to convince a djinn uh, to help cure Warren, which resulted in Grandma being turned into a chicken. That sounds familiar. Yep. They also meet the imp that attacked Grandpa, and when he antagonizes them, everyone discovers that Kendra can now understand fairy languages. The most important takeaway here, however, is the quiet box, a maximum security cell that is so complete in its confinement that nobody even knows who is in it. Yeah. I like that we get the explanation for the, for chicken, the chicken incident. Yeah, yeah, we finally did. It's because she pissed off a genie. Or she didn't cover her bases enough in like how carefully you're supposed to speak with these magical yeah. creatures that he found a chicken loophole. Be careful of chicken loopholes. Be guys. careful of the chicken loopholes. <laughs> hey, uh, want to know the first time I hated Coulter? Oh, I think I know. It. I, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's when she talks about how uh, the drummonds are loose and she managed to get she managed to catch about a third of them. She caught uh, six of 19 and goes six of 19 is less than a third. And I'm like, it's You're not right. worth bringing up. <laughs> <laughs> I was suspicious of her for that. I was like, okay, maybe someone didn't know or you knew. So it'd be safe to like let them lose. I didn't make a note about that there, but within the next chapter or two, I was like, no, I followed, I, like, I, I really she... followed uh, Kendra's knee jerk instinct of, I don't like this woman. Yeah. So I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Especially since we learned that lesson pretty hard with uh, Errol. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really suspicious. I think, thing. okay. I think part of my reason <laughs> for not being so suspicious of Vanessa at first is because 
there are only three women at Fable Haven. There's Kendra, there's Grandma, and there's Vanessa. And so I wanted there to be, like, someone else that shows more active competence. Like, we don't see Grandma in action a whole lot, and Kendra's still learning a lot. So I wanted I wanted her to have that, like, adult female role model that was, like, she can take care of herself. Because Lena's not she... around anymore. Right. But yeah, I was just hoping that... <laughs> Pour one out. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure not to actually hold my drink. Pour one back into the pond. Kendra and Seth are kind of... I don't remember who says it, but they're kind of like, so if you need to hide all these keys and stuff, why don't you just, like, destroy the keys so that there can't be, like, you just can't open the prison. Yeah, I was thinking and that, And then too. she actually has a good explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least one living person must know the word that opens the hatch or the spell is broken and the prisoner freed. If any of the keys are destroyed, the same happens. Otherwise, I'd melt the keys and never tell a word to anyone. I like just acknowledging that the keys have to exist for the magic to, uh, to complete the spell. Well, for the magic to even exist. Yeah. Otherwise, why would it? Right. Yeah. I'm like, thank God someone talks about that instead of just being like, you know, they're always because like, Because it does. Yeah, I'm going to hide the key in the most secret place. And it's like, why don't you just break the key? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ugh, I found a plot hole. <laughs> like those people who glory in plot holes. Chapter 8 Coulter. New day, new teacher. Kendra and Seth wait for Coulter by the birdbath and are commenting on how late he is. When he pops into vision right before their eyes, he was invisible the whole time using a magic glove and cautioned them that Fablehaven's enemies could use similar tricks, so never discuss anything important where they could be heard. Coulter explains his experience with magical artifacts and how he will take the kids on expeditions into the woods, which can and will be dangerous. He also explains that he is old-fashioned and won't bring any women on certain treks, which rightly infuriates Kendra because one, sexist, and two, Seth is a moron. Why should he go anywhere she can't? <laughs> He's practically brain dead <laughs> when she said that. But that's the way it is, so Kendra vows to have someone else take her to any place Coulter won't. Coulter demonstrates another artifact, a distractor orb, which Kendra is curiously immune to. He also shows off a cocoon that, if bitten, will engulf the user in a protective shell that can keep them safe and alive for months. Coulter calls to for Hugo the Golem, who is developing free will after encountering the magic of the fairies last year. Deciding there's not enough time to go on an expedition before the kids have their super secret meeting with the Sphinx, he instructs them to play with Hugo instead. This helps Hugo learn and grow, so Kendra asks him to show them his favorite flower. And when Seth asks him to throw him into the pool, uh, he does from 40 feet out. <laughs> Touchdown, Yankees! <laughs> I like Hugo. I, I like the big, simple-minded ones because they're so sweet. I know. I remember you saying that in the last one. So when Hugo turned out, I was like, Josh is squeeing right now. <laughs> and he has a favorite flower. He has a favorite flower. So let's talk about Coulter. I, I was suspicious of him, but then self-conscious of my suspicion. So uh, <laughs> he even says to them outright that, like, like, I guess I'll try to protect you. But if it's down to you guys or me, I'm choosing me. And I was like, okay, cool. Right. I was like, Jack that's... Well, I was, I was like, I don't like that. But I also like that Brandon Mole put it in because they're always like going to be like, I need to protect you kids first. And we finally have one that's like, I'm going to be honest, I'm more useful at this point than you guys are. So, um, <laughs> yeah. They, well, then he shows them all this, these magical objects and he's like, these have to be secrets. And then I, I went on my thing like, how about no? Adults don't need to have secrets with children. And then I was just like, but are we setting him up to be the red herring law and order in the first 15 minutes villain by making him so damn unlikable? <laughs> right. So then I was like, okay, let's, he's unlikable, but let's not go completely. Right. So I went a little easier on him. He's still a complete tool. I right. Don't, I do not like him. Yeah. So Kendra says, but you take Seth. He's two years younger than me and practically brain dead. <laughs> and Seth said, my brain is not the issue. And I wrote, it's penis. 
<laughs> what? Because the the issue is just the fact that he's a guy and she's a girl. Oh, okay. Has nothing to do with intelligence or capability. Right. Yeah, and he's like, "How are you able to do that?" She goes, "I know, right? I thought I was just a girl." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like. Yes! <laughs> He's sexist, but at least he's honest about it. Like, if you're gonna be a complete, like, prejudice tool, at least admit that you are, and don't try to justify it some way At this else. point, at where our country's at, I don't give people credit for that. No, screw you. Not to Josh, just the people who are... <laughs> In case anyone listening is like, wow. So, this cocoon, it's the cocoon of a pixie. It is. When you eat it, it will engulf you in this thing that has, like, a an inner membrane that you can actually consume. Like, it's probably disgusting, but it will keep you alive. And he says, if I pop the cocoon into my mouth, bite down hard, it'll instantly expand and envelop me. It'll be an absolutely impervious shelter. And I wrote Liamon's Tiny Hut, which is a spell in D&D that will create an impervious little, like, safe place for you for eight hours so that you can take your rest without the DM being like, and then you got attacked by wolves in the night. Oh, okay. <laughs> well... It made me think of The Good Place. There was like, there's a character in it that was like, when he feels threatened or he doesn't like what he's hearing, he just all of a sudden gets his, like, oh great, now he's in his cocoon. <laughs> it comes up. It's funny every time. Yeah, and then asking about the favorite flower and Seth's like whining about how boring that is. And she's like, well, it's just like a low stakes, easy way for yeah. him to like show like... an opinion. We're just testing that. Seth's being annoying and then has Hugo throws in the pool for 40 feet. And wrote, alas, he's uninjured. Because <laughs> he was getting on my nerves again. I was like, you're bugging me. Bugging me, Seth. By the end of the book, he does not bother me anymore. Yeah. So he's he's uh, gradually becoming less like the caricature of a little brother in 90s. I just love the fact that Kendra could figure out what would be like good enrichment for Hugo. Because I don't, I don't know if I would think things through that well at that age. I don't think I would either. I like her. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 9, The Sphinx. The Sphinx! Grandma takes the kids to a seedy part of the town where the Sphinx is staying. Kendra has a meeting with him by herself. After playing around a foosball, the Sphinx gets down to business. Kendra would have died in the first book as the elixir she made to cure the fairies was fatal to humans, and Kendra did a taste test of it without knowing that. To save her, the fairies imbued her with some of, her, some of their powers, rendering her not fairy-struck, which is what they previously thought she was, but actually fairy-kind, something more than human not very kind like everyone this year <laughs> yes I, li- I like that like awareness though of how that sounds so everyone's like you're very kind very kind <laughs> because of this she emanates magic in a unique way that can restore power to artifacts whose magic has run dry this is why the evening star is so interested in her she may be able to restore any of the five artifacts that have become weakened the sphinx offers his assistance if she chooses to actively pursue her powers then brings seth in for his meeting more foosball happens, and he tells Seth that he cannot be cured of Olek's curse and must defeat the demon before Seth is devoured. He suggests staying in Fablehaven until the matter is settled and to be extra cautious since he almost ruined the preserve last year and no opening windows on Midsummer's Eve. When uh, he's looking at her and he goes like, which of my letters did you read? And she's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, I can tell you read one of my letters. It's a letter from the first book. It was all like, oh, I can help you with the situation when you're going to S. He's S! And he's like, oh, it's a good thing you didn't read that with, like, poor bad intentions. Otherwise, it would have turned into a toxic vapor. I'm like, oh, my God. That's why the grandpa just left it sitting out. Because he knows if anybody, like, roots through it and, like, finds it and reads it, they just, they breathe in poison. I was like, that's so great. So many payoffs. <laughs> I know. I was so impressed by that. And I thought, oh, the foosball game's super racist. It, it's Cowboys it, and Indians. It it's is. gross. I, 
I'm curious if that... And if I've they're... never seen that before. So I was just like, I've only ever, if I've seen foosballs, it's always like just two sports guys and like little yeah, shorts. I'm, I'm curious if there's some sort of symbolic reason for choosing that. Or um, maybe that's just what he grew up with. So that's normal. I don't know. Right. Um, I've never experienced well, that. Well, so I, I was trying to figure it out because... Brandon Mole is so conscious of, like, the sexism and, and actively having a conversation about this. So then to just throw this in seems a little contradictory to what he's established so far. I mean, obviously, people aren't always aware of things on the same level. But I was trying to f- parse it out, and we there's more stuff about the Sphinx later on. I was wondering if that would affect anything. But um, I noticed that the Native Americans won both games. I was wondering if that had something mm-hmm. to do with... I, I was like, Kendra's going to pick the Indians, isn't she? She did, and I'm like, I knew you would. Like, I wonder if it had something to do with, like, the natural magic would beat out the people trying to control it or something like that. You know, I don't know. And since we have weird callbacks to, like, letters in yeah. the first book, I have no idea if that's going to come back in, like, the third one. And... Well, I just figured it was, like, I don't know, some generational and um, regional thing that maybe that's what foosball tables used to look like Re- at are some you, time period. Are you referring to Brandon Mole's history or the Sphinx's history when you say that? Brandon Mull, because that's what he would be familiar with. He goes, yeah, that's what, you know, that's what they were. It was like the Cowboys versus Indians. Like, they, they always had them that way. And you're like, I've never seen that in my life. What are you talking about? Right. So, but uh, I think he's older than us. So that's why it's like. Right, because I've only ever seen the. So I wasn't the... going to go like, this is completely one star for this racist <laughs> foosball table. <laughs> but I was right. like, I'd like, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. What's that about? Because I really have only ever seen it as just. The, it's just the little dinky little, shorts. yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, what? Yeah, primary colors and also green, and that's kind of the extent of it, right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. They, maybe they used to be that way. But why are they playing foosball? Well, I know why they were. It's just they need to like loosen up a bit before. And I thought it was interesting. No, no. no. I mean, why would the cowboys be playing foosball? <laughs> like... Oh, the traditional <laughs> Native American. <laughs> Playing Here's how we're gonna settle who gets the land that you already have. Here we go. <laughs> now if we just done that, we could have saved years of bloodshed. <laughs> yeah, he lets Kendra win because she always needs more confidence. She's like double, but like Seth is like the opposite, and he's like, no, right. he needs to be slapped down several pegs. So suddenly the Sphinx is like really awesome at playing the game. And I also noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but he like asks Kendra like, hey, do you want what do you want to drink? And gives her this long list of stuff that he has. And she tells him, and he's like, okay. And then for Seth, he's like, you can have apple juice. He doesn't give him a choice. Right. Is that interesting? Did you not notice that? I I mean, I did. Now that you say it, I remember it, but I didn't. I Yeah. I was just like, well, what happened? To, there was mi- chocolate milk and there was. I don't want to spoil the last page of the book quite yet. I think his only goal, apple juice are people I, I don't the, like. Well, I think his goal is to basically try and make her his apprentice and get oh. and, and convert her to his specific interests. And so by ingratiating he, himself with her a whole mm-hmm. lot, and then he couldn't care less about Seth because Seth doesn't have anything special about him. Hey, sure he does. He's got spunk and green shirts <laughs> and green shirts and an emergency cereal box kit. Boom. Um. Whatever. Okay, the Sphinx's parting shot is to tell Seth not to open any more windows on Midsummer's Eve. 911, I've just witnessed a murder. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what he says. It's so funny. Well, I mean, one last thing, Seth. Are you aware that Midsummer Eve is scarcely a week away? Yeah. Might I make a suggestion? Okay. Don't open any windows. I'm like, oh! I thought of like the, those group of guys that they always use for like, turn down for what? Who like lean over like, yeah. all the friends are like, ah! <laughs> That's what I pictured. That scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
Josh just perfectly acted out the, but, uh, the friends freaking out. You wouldn't have been able to see this. Cause, uh, this is not a visual medium. Ding, ding. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. An uninvited guest. The Sorensons agree to keep Kendra's exact diagnosis secret even from the assistants. Kendra is assigned research duties with Vanessa while Coulter and Hugo take Seth on a delivery run. A fog giant named Burlocks has information about where Warren had been searching for the artifact before his incident and wants a live buffalo as payment. They bring a buffalo to the marsh and Burlocks consumes it while Coulter and Seth watch from the safety of a glass bubble. Burlocks gives them their lead for hills. Meanwhile, Kendra expresses her frustrations with Coulter and Vanessa gifts her with a pen and candle, both made from, uh, umite? U-M-I-T-E. Wax. The pen can only be read under the light of the umite candle. Yay, pen pals! Upon returning to I the- wrote Nito, so I'm glad we were on the same page. <laughs> Upon returning to the house, Seth receives a note from the satyrs Newell and Doran regarding their battery transaction. Yes. He heads into the preserve and finds the satyrs playing tennis. I want us to do the back and forth of the. I, I absolutely, yeah. Uh, let me just finish reading them. I love them so much. They try to offer him wine and a burping frog, but Seth insists on gold. Yes. Right after receiving a gold bar, Alec the Glutton appears. He makes right for Seth, but Hugo uh, shows up and throws Alex into next week. He takes Seth back home and Alex tries to follow, but can't enter the yard yet. Also, Seth is grounded. Congratulations, you played yourself. And I'd like to point out that when Alex shows up, and we already had, like, Holder going, like, I'm not gonna, like, fight for you, yeah. so, like, suck it, losers. And the But the freaking Satters are like, save Seth! And, like, fight Right. <laughs> and it's like, well, they're not even humans! And they're like, we're gonna show more humanity and help somebody than... And these guys are, I don't think they're kind of cowardly. They kind of back down from right. crap, like, a lot. But right. they stepped up and helped, right. like, right there. But I love the yeah. Satters. They're my favorite. I want to get to them in a second. I just want to yeah. do, uh... I so. know, I know. Coulter adds a lucky rabbit's foot and a medallion supposed to repel the undead to Seth's emergency kit. And he says, is this rabbit's foot really lucky? We'll see, Coulter responded. <laughs> and Seth says, are you superstitious? And I wrote, I'm a little superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Coulter, like, uh, even though they're like, he, he's like, you know, telling Seth, like, you know, like, kind of deal with it when he's like, I kind of feel bad about the buffalo now. Culture says, like, most livestock, it was born to be slaughtered. But he still anesthetizes it, so it doesn't have to feel the pain as right. it's eaten alive. So he talks big, but I think he feels more. And then essentially later when he said, like, I'm not going to sacrifice for myself for you, he basically did. Yeah, I think he just, like, talks tough because he's an old... Oh, and the uh, gold is uh, stamped with an N. He's like, what's the N stand for? He's like, Newell. <laughs> You're like, no, it's not. Whose is this? <laughs> <laughs> like the reveal later, who's it yeah. is. <laughs> so, so, and then I love that they're like, "All right, here's some wine." He goes, "I'm 12." And they're like, "Oh, don't you want it?" And he's like, "No." And they're like, "Okay, that was a test. <laughs> here's what you're really getting. It's a burping frog." And he's like, "Okay, that's funny, but I'm not five. I want my, <laughs> my gold." And they're like, "Okay, fine. Here it is." And I was, I like threw my head back and laughed because <laughs> it's like you dicks he had it the whole time you're just gonna say let's see if we can get him to take something that's like <laughs> worthless but anyway where yeah. would you like to read from crap i don't know man it's all i specifically good. highlighted the origin 195 the origin of tennis you know satyrs invented tennis they did not we learned about it on tv uh, and then Seth says, I like your rackets. And Newell says, Graphite, light and strong. Warren got us our equipment. Back before he went all Boo Radley on us. <laughs> the net, the rackets, a few cases of balls. 
We built the court. And we maintain it. The brownies maintain it. Under our supervision. Speaking of tennis ball, <laughs> yeah. most of us are flat, but with the supply dwindling, it always kills us to open a new can. If our battery arrangement works out, think you might be able to score us some new balls. <laughs> They're already prepping like their next <laughs> shipment. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was the other part I really liked? <laughs> yeah, the bottle of wine. Well done, Seth. Newell said awkwardly, ruffling his hair. You passed our test. Your parents would be very proud. <laughs> yeah, um, sometimes we test people and play jokes. Seriously, here's what we really had in mind, Seth. A frog. Not just any frog. Show him. Eight lousy batteries for one incredible frog. I'd take it. <laughs> the frog's pretty cool, but I'm not five years old. <laughs> but yeah, but uh, Newell, it stands for Newell. Uh, used to be my favorite belt buckle. You wore pants? Long story. Let's not dwell on the past. <laughs> What does the N stand for? Nothing. Right. Stands for nothing. <laughs> Why would anybody write an N for nothing? Why not just leave it blank? Newell. It stands yeah. for Newell. When, when all the glutton uh, sh- shows up, run, Newell yelled, for television, for Doran, television. Doran cried. For batteries, Newell. For yeah, instead of for Narnia, that yeah. kind of thing for Frodo. <laughs> they are my favorite They're characters. Great. They I are very so fun. Much. And what I think is great is he knows exactly how much and when to use them. Yes. A whole book of them might be a bit much, but... Right, like, one of the big things about... Uh, this is really common uh, when you have TV shows where a, a side character is so popular that they start to make them the main character. Happy days. Yeah, and sometimes it turns out that that character was good because they were in small doses and you didn't get sick of them. And then all of a sudden, when you bring them too much to the forefront, it's like, oh my gosh. Sorry, Fonzie. Right. <laughs> But yeah, that happens a lot, and you have to you have to be really conscious about not overdoing it. I want at least a short story of them doing something. Right. <laughs> Chapter 11, Betrayal. Grandpa arranges a meeting with all the human residents of Fablehaven. He believes there's a traitor in their midst, and that this person let Olek onto the premises by writing him into the register, along with someone named Christopher Vogel. He also tells Seth that the gold bar the satyrs gave him was stolen from the horde of Nero the Cliff Giant, recipient of a gross massage in book one. Olek is the biggest threat currently because he will keep devouring creatures and soon be strong enough to overtake the house and get Seth. That night, Coulter wakes Seth and confesses that he is an agent for the Sphinx here to protect the artifact at all costs. He dislikes Grandpa's plan to prioritize Olek and asks Seth to go with him that night to the grove in the Valley of the Four Hills. He believes a phantom resides there and wants to take out that threat ASAP, so they can safely reach the artifact's vault, the inverted tower, in the morning. Seth is cautious because it sure seems like everyone is out to trick him, but he can't pass up this opportunity to prove himself, because this will definitely break his losing streak, right? Ron Howard comes in. It doesn't. What is not found? When, when they're like, okay, there's a traitor in our midst because of all this. And Tanu's like, okay, how about all three of us just leave? Right. And I was like, sensible. And then yeah. Grandpa's like, too sensible. We're not doing that. <laughs> I'm like, why are we not doing that? <laughs> but I do like that he's just like, you know what? Fine. And, like, until let's the problem is solved. all let's... three of us from here. Yeah. So Take then... out the variables. Exactly. So I was just like, that's the smartest thing I've heard yet. See, I like him. I do too. I never suspected him. Even though Seth is like, hey, no one's ever that nice all the time. And I'm like, good point. <laughs> and okay. And they can't get in touch with anybody because the phone lines are down again. They need better ways to get in touch with everybody else, especially since this is a magical community. You're really telling me that they're that this is all the only ways they can get in touch with people, right? They need they need a better system. This is baloney, don't you think? They need 
Or at least, like, you can't... I guess you could sabotage it, but, like, uh, that... Oh, yeah, like a telegraph? Telegraph, thank you. Thank uh, you for knowing what I meant by okay. tapping my finger what like What they should idiot. have is if some other safe place does not receive a signal from them after X number of hours, they should send an agent to them. Yeah. That's what it should be. Uh-huh. Because it, it, they, it, it, several times now it's been proven that these communications are terrible and there needs to be something better put in place. Yeah. Because they're left to themselves way too often. Oh, and um, they're like, this is Nero. So I went, Nero, I remember him. And then he has to put it outside because otherwise uh, with his peeping stone, he could scry into the house. Yep. And um, they're like, no, let's not do that. So put it out on the porch, Seth. <laughs> Poor Seth. Even that comes back. Even leaving the gold on the yes, porch comes back. it does. What the heck? So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I clapped a little when I thought to that. Okay, yeah, chapter 12. Peril in the night. Hugo takes Coulter and Seth to the Valley of the Four Hills, but is magically prevented from entering the grove himself. Seth is overcome by terror, even beyond the fear of death. The two are paralyzed by fear as their attacker approaches. A revenant, a creepy, shambling, undead figure with a nail in his neck. Coulter uses the last of his strength to feed Seth the cocoon and give him the glove of, inv- the glove of invisibility, rendering Seth protected and with a means to escape. Coulter's screams outside the cocoon signal the old man's apparent fate. Back at the house, the troops are rallied to rescue Seth and Coulter. Grandma is convinced that Coulter is the traitor. Back at the cocoon, Seth hears the unmistakable approach of Alec, who swallows Seth, cocoon, and all. And when that happened, I wrote, that counts! That's devouring! Yeah, yeah, I did too. He's like, is he gonna poop him? And he does. But... Yeah, but because the whole thing it is counts. he has to be devoured or, uh-huh. or defeated. And I was like, oh. And um, also, was it oh when, when they're like knocking the ground by the fear, Coulter suddenly like, how do we get out here? Yeah. So then you're like, uh oh, he wasn't under his actual control. So mm-hmm. so it's like he did. They were both betrayed. Yeah. Um. So then you know, kind of absolves yeah. Coulter of this crap. Yeah. And with him all being all like earlier going like, I'm not gonna sacrifice myself for you. He does by giving the means of escape to Seth. Right. And letting him, and I was just like, okay, you were just talking big. Or maybe if you were with Kendra, you would have eaten the cocoon and then just let her get taken. So I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's not so much that he talks big and is actually kind of like a sweetheart uh, inside. I wonder if it's more, he is a very pragmatic sort of person. He knew that there was no possible way for him to escape anyways, so might as well give Seth a better means to escape. Either way, I mean... A strong character right. moment ne- for him. Right, and net gain for Seth. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so they're heading in, and uh, Coulter says, uh, find your courage and hang on tight. I'm ready, Seth said. Hugo, if we fall, return to the house, Coulter said. If we fall? Just a precaution. We'll be fine. <laughs> You're not helping my courage a whole bunch. He started impersonating <laughs> Coulter. Seth, we'll be just fine. Nothing to worry about. Hugo, when we die, please have us buried in a beautiful cemetery by a stream. I'm sorry, Seth. I meant if we die. Be brave. When the phantom kills you, don't scream, even though it's going to hurt a lot. Coulter was smirking. Are you finished? finished? Sounds like we're both finished. Yeah. <laughs> the first person Kendra goes to wake up is Vanessa, I guess because she's the closest. It seemed like a weird decision. But also we get her, it's very hard to wake her up. And, right, and, and you see like all the activity going on in her eye. Like she peels the eye back. Yeah, those just like why the hell isn't this bitch waking up? <laughs> like peels her eye back, and her eyes like yeah. all over the place. Has to throw a glass of water on her, and she's pissed when she wakes up. And you think she's pissed because she just had water thrown right. on her, and no one yeah. likes that. But it's interesting, right? Uh, 
the one of the last things Coulter says between like regaining his own free will and being succumbed to the revenant's magic is remove the, the nail. The nail, yeah. So put a nail in that. Yeah. Coming back there. Of course it is. This is a Brandon Mole book. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no word is wasted. Right? 400 pages and... There's the, no filler. Right. The 400 pages are all necessary. Yes. <laughs> Chapter 13, The Thief's Net. The scouting party returns with a one-armed Hugo, a warrened Coulter, and no Seth. It looks likely that Olek has consumed him, but they d- won't oh, know. Oh, well, warrened Coulter. I yeah. was just like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, because like, oh, he, yeah. he, he got... He got He's albinoist. It looks likely that Olek has consumed him, but they won't know for sure until they find the demon. Grandpa suspects that Coulter was not acting on his own volition. He's also devised a trap to weed out the traitor, a thief's net in place of where he has stated the key is hidden. That very night, the trap goes off, ensnaring a very tired and confused Dale. (laughs) Poor Dale. Poor Dale. (laughs) (laughs) He insists he fell asleep and just woke up there, and Grandpa puts together the clues. Vanessa is a narcoblix. She has been manipulating the others and even released her own drummonds to cover up her bite marks, which allow her to control people in their sleep. A scuffle breaks out, and Kendra rushes from the house with only time to bring Tanu's potion bag. She heads into the preserve and seeks out the naiad pond she found the previous year, where her friend Lena, the naiad-turned-human-turned-naiad again, lives. Lena has the mentality of a magic creature again, however, and does not consider the situation as dire as Kendra finds it. The other naiads pull Lena away and are nasty to Kendra, but she fires back that they can't do anything to her because they can't leave the water. Oh yeah, they ask, and summon Satan's Pinocchio to drag Kendra away. <laughs> yeah, the naiads with their, um, why is she back again? Who said that, Kendra asked. She's here to show off, what else? Mortals get so proud when they know our language, as if speaking it weren't the easiest and most natural ability. I'll allow that it beats her clumsy honking, barking like a seal. I need to speak with Lena. She needs to find a new hobby, the first voice said. Maybe she should take up swimming. You don't have to talk like I'm not here, Kendra said. I can hear every word just fine. She's an eavesdropper. <laughs> such bitches. I love them. I wasn't dropping no eaves, sir. <laughs> don't try to mean anything unnatural. Or it's like, she should come in the water so we can hear better. I'm fine where I am. Just fine, she says. A big clumsy scarecrow glued to the ground, plodding along on stilts. Better than being trapped in an aquarium. She's not very polite. <laughs> It's it's, it's a it's a little bit like if Jim Gaffigan's audience voice was a bunch of really sassy cheerleaders. I was thinking of the mermaids in Peter Pan. We were only trying to drown her. She's not very polite. Um, What do you expect? Her feet are probably sore. But that scene reminds me a bit of a video game I played recently called Hellblade, which is where you play as a uh, young Viking woman who. She has schizophrenia, so while you're the whole time you were playing the game, there are these voices in your head that are like making fun of you and judging every decision you make and stuff, and it's really distressing, as close as they can get to true to what that would feel like. And so when I was reading that, I was just like, oh, I remember when they were judging me for ten hours, and I didn't like it at all. I thought they were funny in like a really bitchy way. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kendra is obviously not going to be able to sleep easy because she, you know, doesn't know where her brother is. And it says, it didn't help that she was sleeping with her clothes on. And I wrote, please tell me why the car is in the front yard and I'm sleeping with my clothes on. I came through the window last night and you're gone. 
That's more like Seth's song. I am my own worst enemy. Every now and then, kick the living out of me. I'm trying to make more more of the lyrics work. Can we forget about the things I said? We're not. I'm very struck. Didn't mean to call you that. Came in through the window. Obviously, Midsummer's Eve, right? Right. And you're gone. Ah. <laughs> this has been Lit. Mara and Josh cover Lit's only hit single. <laughs> Does anybody even know who Lit is? Is before that word meant like yeah. Lit. So that's yeah. They could probably make a comeback with a name like that. I think uh, the group Hella Tight probably have a harder time. No, I'm kidding. I made that up. Or did I? <laughs> that could be like an indie group called Hella Tight. I don't know. I'm just trying to decide if any of my notes are worth talking about or if we already kind of touched on them. Yeah, it's fun to have Mandango back, though, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, warning, I don't ever use his name correctly, and he, I put his name in all caps every time. <laughs> yeah, I wrote Mandango once, Mandango. and then... Like, Mandango! I think it's a better name. I don't like Mendigo. It's stupid. You said you liked Mendigo because you're like, it's like Wendigo! I, I do like them. I think Wendigo is a really cool concept and a really cool word, so yeah, Mendigo's... I think it's pretty well, I wrote Mandango. Yeah, but uh, he, yeah, Satan's Pinocchio is totally when Satan's he fair. He, yeah, he just comes out of the water like like. Oh. I didn't realize how big he was. Yeah, I thought, said, it was, I thought it was. I more, thought like, it was three or four feet. Too, yeah, but he's like man sizable. size. Yeah. So I am correct in putting him as Mandango. <laughs> Chapter fourteen reunion. Thanks. Turns out Mendigo's last order was to take Kendra to Muriel the Witch. Since she is buried in a prison with bath mat under where the chapel used to be, he takes her there and starts digging. A fairy guarding the area takes notice and Kendra requests help. Though jealous of Kendra's good standing with the fairy queen, enough fairies realize how bad it would be if Muriel and bath mat were to escape again. And together, they turn Mendigo into Kendra's servant. The most friendly of the fairies, Shiara, tells Kendra she will warn the other fairies of the current situation, but to not expect their aid. Meanwhile, it's been a while since Seth heard any olicky sounds. He punches through the membrane of the cocoon and discovers daylight and poop. He has survived the trip through Olek's system, and Olek has returned to a petrified, though still very large form. This is great, although Seth has no idea where he is. He starts walking and sees ruins of old buildings. This reminds him of the fact that there used to be a different mansion on the property, one that can't be beaten because it has the high ground. From there... <laughs> From there, he spots Warren's cabin but is chased from the abandoned house by a monstrous dust devil. He reaches Warren's house and reunites with Kendra, and yeah, why is the puppy here too? He startled me as he yelled. Okay, but Seth has the invisibility glove as well. Did you picture the invisibility glove as Michael Jackson's glove with like the sparkle and everything? Because I did every time. <laughs> At first I pictured it as uh, these half gloves that I wear whenever it's cold outside, and then later on I pictured the Michael Jackson glove, yeah. <laughs> Michael Jackson features a lot in our recaps, right? I've realized. <laughs> Usually if there's like a man in the mirror... I've been asking him to change his lips. Gosh, I hope you're not sick of that joke because we're going to keep doing it every third episode until we die. <laughs> and the last episode is just us singing that song. <laughs> but I, seriously, I thought the fact it's that his... feel real good. The fact that his last order was to go to Muriel. Yeah. That's so... Uh, it's such a it's such a strong sequel. It, it's in such good conversation with everything from the first book without leaning on it. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, hey, remember those good times? Let's just do them again. Right. <laughs> Hangover 2. <laughs> I didn't even see the Hangover 2 because I saw the Hangover 1. I was like, that's enough that's good enough. times for me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was just like, I saw this film. <laughs> I don't need to see it again. 
I had to replace Bathmat's name three times on this page. <laughs> wow, you really did go through. Yeah, that I did every time. I just said Bathmat in my notes. Did we end up recording me saying this? But every time I wrote down Mandango, I have this pen. It just kind of runs in and out of ink a lot. And I'd be running out of ink on the page, but as I'm approaching the word Mandango, I get the ink back. So it never ran out on that name. Ever. So I was just like, <laughs> there's something to that. <laughs> I, names have power. That's like one of the <laughs> fundamentals of magic. Chapter 15, Satirical Assistance. Armed with a magic glove, some of Tanya's potions, and a limberjack, Kendra and Seth return to the house. There are dungeon escapees guarding it, however, so they need a better way in. They recall the brownies having their own entrance, and the kids currently have some Alice in Wonderland potions to shrink them down. <laughs> but where is the entrance? Better ask the satyrs. For the steep price of 24 batteries, the kids get their info. A nearby tree hides the entrance. The shrinking potions unfortunately don't affect clothes or possessions, so they leave everything but the magic glove and two handkerchiefs to Mendigo, turn the hankies into togas, and head into the brownie tunnel under the tree. Yeah, I wrote, oh boy, Mara, as soon as I saw the title <laughs> of the chapter. I know, I thought, yeah. <laughs> I have a question about their tennis scoring. Are they are they just abandoning games partway through and starting new ones? I don't think they're doing it right. Because he says, I'm up 6-2, and it's my serve. There's weird scoring in tennis where you do play up to a certain point and then you go. But it's, it's 15-30-40. I, just, I don't remember exactly. I just remember Brian Regan explaining it in one right. of his stand-up <laughs> routines. Yeah, I don't I don't care. It's confusing and I don't give a shit because I don't care about sports. Funny you guys should mention brownies. We need a favor. Does the favor involve demons trashing our shed? <laughs> I like uh, that Newell goes over the shed and starts bashing his racket against the Boo, wall. Poor sportsmanship. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with sportsmanship. Ever since the brownies minted his racket, his shots have more zip. I just want to level the playing field. <laughs> I don't know, Newell. Takes quite a sad to handle racket of this caliber. Relish the moment. Next time we'll be playing under the light of day. We'll have comparable equipment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I took care of Olak. We need to know uh, where their entrance is so we can get through the little doors. No offense, but it might be a bit of a squeeze. We have potions to shrink ourselves down. Resourceful kids. <laughs> I was picturing it like one's in like the foreground, one's in the background. So just the background guy going... Resourceful kids. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just making that and just laughing uncontrollably. Like the camera just filters between the two, like which one's in focus. <laughs> Don't even focus him. It's just always on the lower <laughs> foreground and then he's doing the other one. Especially, just... especially when they're like, um, it's like, uh, when they explain what happened, they go, wait a minute, Vanessa? As in smoking hot Vanessa? As in betrayed us all Vanessa? I'm not sure how the brownies would feel about us giving away their secret entrance. True. We'd be violating a sacred trust. I wish we could help, but a promise is a promise. How many batteries do you want? 16. <laughs> like he had that number yeah. in his head like immediately deal yep. 24 is what he meant we already made a deal for 16 we could make it less fair enough i'm assuming you uh have said batteries on your person <laughs> in my room i see and suppose you get caught and never make it back we're out 16 batteries and we've broken our sacred promise of the brownies i could live with 16 up front but with deferred payment we'd have to go up to, a, to up our fee by 50 percent. okay 24 Okay, and then, and then, and then like, Newell grabbed Seth's hand and shook a figure. like, congratulations, you just found yourself a secret entrance. So, seriously, Doran said, what's with the puppet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I could just picture it. It's, like, such a great scene in a movie. Yeah. Oh, my God, they go back and forth again. Like, hey, do you want to help? Yeah, about that. See, we got a thing. We promised some friends. It's been scheduled for a while. Yeah. We've already canceled twice. Next time. Take care. <laughs> Don't get eaten by a brownie. Yep. <laughs> Why do you even ask? didn't think it could hurt <laughs> <laughs> chapter 16 brownie doors 
The tunnel is pitch black to Seth, which is how Kendra figures out she has dark vision. They continue on until they reach a door and speak to the guard. The brownies are not keen to let two humans through their secret quarters, but eventually agree so long as the kids wear blindfolds. They do and also exchange their hankies for blankets. By the time they reach the far end of the brownie tunnels, their hankies have been fashioned into actual silk clothes for them to wear. They exit the tunnels through the dungeon and are immediately scooped up by Sligo the Goblin, who attends who intends to add them to a stew and feed them to the latest prisoners, Grandma and Grandpa Sorensen. However, the promise of a reward convinces Sligo to take the kids to their grandparents' cell. There, Stan says he thinks Vanessa took control of Ruth while she was asleep in order to learn the location of the key and how to add people to the register. He describes the key to the kids and tells them that if things get hairy to prioritize themselves, then the key, and then himself and Ruth. With that, it's time for the kids to head into the house and figure something out, I guess. I wrote Dark Vision 60 feet, because that's what you get in uh, D&D if you are a uh, half-elf or full-elf. Oh my god. So, Kendra can speak to the brownie, and the brownie... Seth can't understand the brownie, so Kendra is... Uh, translating. Speaking, she's yeah. translating, and he is explaining how they have to wear blindfolds and stuff, and Seth says, uh, what's he saying? He says we have to wear blindfolds. Tell him to get on with it, Seth said. What's he saying? The brownie asked. He says he'll wear a blindfold. <laughs> yeah, right. For once, his mouth isn't going to get anyone in trouble because she yeah. can, like, filter it out. I like that we don't get to see where the brownies are. I like that there's still a magical mystery to it. That's fun. And they're like, wow, that's such great workmanship. You guys are great. We do what we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is very, very sweet. Yeah, they're so they're so humble. and Well, they well that's kind of their nature. Yeah. They don't accept payment when yeah. they leave. Yeah, it's just what they do. We do what we do. Chapter 17, Recovering the Key. Seth starts growing again as the kids head up the stairs into the house's brownie tunnel, so Kendra sends him on ahead. Kendra follows with the glove, and Seth uses it to make them both invisible just as Kendra starts prowling for them. They're undetected for now, but... Vanessa? What'd I say? Kendra. Oh, I read a line. Kendra's searching for Kendra and Seth. (laughs) Kendra's searching for herself. Is that the next book? (laughs) Yeah. Seth uses it to make them both invisible just as Vanessa starts prowling for them. They're undetected for now, but Kendra is starting to grow as well. Seth sticks her behind the sofa, then goes to find some clothes for her, because unfortunately the brownie clothes don't grow, and I was so sure they would. That was something I didn't I, I didn't say earlier, but I like that they thought, like, wait, are, are, are our clothes gonna yeah. shrink? And it's like, well, let's find out. So yeah. they kind of sprinkled it on the clothes, and that didn't work. It's like, well, let's have these hankies handy, so we'll have something to wear. Yeah, I'm glad that so they, yeah. it was very well thought out. Yeah. Kendra eavesdrops on Vanessa brainstorming how to take care of the Revenant guarding the artifact. Kendra recognizes the voice of the man she is talking with. It's Errol, the close-up magician! After a time, Vanessa and Errol decide to sleep on it, which gives our heroes the perfect opportunity to start fixing things. They wait an hour to make sure their enemies are cozied up, then Seth heads off to find the dungeon keys while Kendra holds up in the study. Seth sneaks into Vanessa's room and sees that she is sleeping on top of the huge artifact vault key. He uses a tissue to tickle her nose and get her to move, but the first time doesn't work, and the second time she was ready for it. She brushes against the invisible Seth and immediately calls for Errol. Seth pricks her with her own dart, and she collapses. The kids create diversions and escape the house, but are pursued by imps. Seth brings out his inner mobster and has men to go break the imps' arms and legs. <laughs> and then the two kids and Mr. Knight of the Living Dummy head to Warren's cottage, Kingdom Hearts key sword in hand. Yeah, the, the imps are following them, and he's like, break their legs. Break their arms, too. Well, first, Ken was like, stop them, but don't kill them. And he's like, let's give them a more specific directive right. and get this over with. Right. We need to hobble them somehow so they can't keep following yeah. us. So I was actually like, Seth, good. Right. Good. Break his legs. <laughs> I want you to break his legs for me. 
put a Pegasus head in the bed. <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. But um, we're, we're, I, I was just like, why why aren't they sleeping together? Because like it kind of like imply I, I was I was understanding that they were a couple, and then like like Vanessa's by herself in the room. I was like, oh, I okay. I yeah. misread that because they called her love, and no one does that. Okay, I have a section I want us to read aloud. And uh-huh. this is Kendra and Seth discussing making a sandwich. <laughs> oh, God, yes. This whole situation was so wait, Do you want me to be Kendra? Or do I you think want to you should Kendra? be Kendra, yes. Okay, shoot. Um, Which page? Uh, 327. Okay. The clock on the wall says 1047. I say we wait a full hour before you go upstairs just to be safe. In that case, I'm going to make a sandwich. No way. All I've eaten for two days is cocoon pulp. You had snacks at Warren's. Right, snacks. I wasn't that hungry then. Now I feel like my stomach is digesting itself. If they hear you rustling around, we could all die. There's plenty of food in the cabin. I say wait. What if they end up catching us? Then we'll be stuck eating glop. Did you smell that stuff? If we get caught, we'll have bigger problems than what we eat. I bet I could make a sandwich about ten times quieter than you whisper. Are you trying to make me angry? Are you trying to make me hungry? Fine, go make a sandwich. We've got an hour, maybe you could bake some cupcakes too. I've got a better idea. I'll make us smoothies in the blender with lots of ice. I wouldn't be surprised. Fine, you know what? You win, Kendra. I'll sit here and starve. Good, starve quietly. I was laughing so hard. I was like, I think I'm the Seth in that situation. Like, I really want to get something to eat. And the other person's like, what the f- is your problem? Uh, I felt bad for the little salamangos when they, uh, yeah. when he dumps the, to create <laughs> he throws- a diversion, he throws an aquarium. Terrarium. Terrarium. Legendarium. The- well, there's no aqua in it, so it's terrarium. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he throws it and it's full of little salamangos and he I'm throws sure they them. they were fine. Yeah, they probably are. When uh, when Seth is running out of the house, I I asked, is he still free balling? <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was like, be careful when he's falling. He's about to go into a bush. I'm like, he's going to puncture his little boy weenus. Be careful. Or his testicles. Yeah. Like, be careful. Ooh. Glad I wasn't the only one. Especially when it's like he runs, he's running in the, in the robes flapping. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Kendra, avert your eyes. But then they, they team up with Man, uh, Mendigo again, and he Mendigo. brings their, their clothes, and everything's good. And... Yeah, it's fine. Because <laughs> you don't want to finish a quest without pants. That's just difficult, difficult. Well, difficult. <laughs> Chapter 18, Diverging Plans. Kendra and Seth argue about what to do next. Seth wants to head straight to the artifact with the key, but Kendra insists that's suicide and tries to think of another plan. She goes to the bathroom and returns to find a note from Seth. He's taken the key and asked Mendigo to help him get to the grove where the revenant was the note tells kendra to wait for mendigo to return then go find the sphinx for help he also left her the glove on the way to his destination seth comes across tanu who has been albinofied seth reaches the valley sends mendigo back to kendra and down some liquid courage the literal kind not the boozy kind or the half-blood <laughs> prince maybe it's the pincers kind yeah 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 harry <laughs> sir <laughs> <laughs> He then proceeds to play Slenderman with the Revenant until the essence of courage can no longer fight off the Revenant's emanating fear. The two engage in a slow melee as Seth, sluggish from the paralyzing fear, slowly pulls the nail from the Revenant's neck. For a moment, the Revenant seems at peace as the nail exits. Then, for Seth, everything goes black. But yeah, it was he's... so tense and good, yeah. that whole scene. But like when he's going through the, the, the woods, the, the Revenant can only move slowly. And so <laughs> Seth is like... Like flicking his flashlight around, and like we'll we'll see the revenant and be like, oh, it's it's so slender, man. Because you you turn around, he's right behind you. Yeah, I was I was with Seth on his plan. 
And Kendra's like, we just need to leave or something. I'm like, I don't, I think that ship sailed. No one's yeah. going to come help you. How are you going to find the Sphinx? No one can get in touch with him. Right. And you guys are just, I think they were dressed at this point. I'm like, your kid's wearing a bathrobe and a sheet. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get far. <laughs> so, yeah, that was felt very weird yeah. to be all like, no, Seth has the better idea. Yeah, but Kendra's very adamant about her plan. And he's like, fine, you're right. She was like, you think? It doesn't matter what I think. The fairy princess has spoken. Yeah. I You're like... a jerk, she said. Then I can't win. I'm a jerk if I agree. I'm crazy if I don't. And that was something that I noticed when I was reading Starship Troopers for my uh, uh. book club. I hated Starship Troopers. Um, <laughs> yeah, you might have mentioned. It's, oh God, it's so bad. Um, but one of the things that it, it, that I pointed out is like, they would be in like situations in like boot camp where they would like, they would say like, can you do this soldier? And if they're like, yes sir they'll be like don't be so sure of yourself kid and then if you say no and it's like well you have no guts and you say i don't know they're like just give me an answer and it's like they set up a question that you cannot answer correctly without being in trouble and that's what that reminded me of of like i'm screwed no matter what i say so what is it who cares yeah yeah <laughs> okay so when he leaves the letter he says that's why you leave a note i put that in the there was one thing about this i really like so he says okay. kendra i took mendigo and i'm going after the artifact I will send him back once he takes me to the grove. Don't be mad. Keep a lookout and lie low until Mendigo gets back. Then go find the Sphinx. I left you the glove. Love, Seth. And I like that their bickering never gets in the way of how much they actually care about each other. There's never a point where they don't absolutely Yeah, he didn't ditch her with, like, no, nothing. Yeah. They're, they're always, they always have each other's best interests, even when they disagree or when they're, like, really getting on each other's nerves. And I liked that he made sure to reconcile those two things. And I wrote, I hope just this once that Seth is right. Because, like, sooner or later, he's something he's got it he at some point. <laughs> yeah, in the next chapter, she's like, he's selfish. And I was like, I don't think he is, though. I think you just need to settle down a bit. Seth takes the liquid courage and it says, less taste, more stinging. And I wrote, Miller Light. I don't want he puts everything down and start boxing because he's such, this is all confident. Like, <laughs> But the other thing about that is I was reading this chapter at one in the morning. So <laughs> my brain went, less taste, more singing. That's the power of the Home Depot. <laughs> I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Seth flexed both arms, showing the Revenant two good reasons to surrender. What do you think he names his fists? Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> <laughs> but uh he succeeds and i wrote woo seth wins one yeah he was thank heavens one. yeah good good for him but yeah it's a really tense little because it's it's slow yes and that's what it really adds to the dread is neither of them can move very fast and so it's just this like it's the entirety of it is based on that tension and not like you know quick jabs and stuff like that it's just like it was cool yes it was, cool. it was. It's good writing. Chapter 19. The Inverted Tower. Back at the cottage, Kendra is shocked to see Warren walking around on his own. He's cured! I mean, he's still albino, but he's got his brain back. Kendra fills him in, since to him it's only been about a day since he was revenanted. And they set off with Mendigo to help Seth at the Inverted Tower. They find Seth and awaken him with one of Tanu's potions, then send him and Mendigo somewhere safe, while Warren and Kendra head to the Inverted Tower. They find the base of the tower, and once they use the key, the top pops off, leaving them with a sphere. Sphere? Spear. They descend into the tower, which is technically outside Fablehaven's uh, safety boundaries. They take things slowly to avoid traps until they come to a room with patches of quicksand and walls covered in paintings of monsters, each with a key around their neck. The door at the end of the room needs one of these keys, so they have to choose a creature to defeat. They choose the Minotaur, 
and Warren, with some diversions created by an invisible Kendra, defeats it, though he is wounded in the process. Nevertheless, they must press on. Choose your fighter. That's what I thought. (laughs) And she's like, we should probably just go with the dwarf. And he goes, no, it doesn't have any weapons, so I bet it's going to use magic. Yeah, yeah. He's like, let's go with the Minotaur, because it just has that heavy, cumbersome mace. It it shows four, three or four really big, intimidating creatures, and then just a dwarf in, like, a hoodie. (laughs) I liked his frustration. He's like, okay, well, I need to get all my gear. We got to do this and go help your brother. Um, I'm part of this organization that you don't know about. And she goes, oh, like the, the Dawn. And he's like, how do you know that? Yeah. He's like, really? Man? He's like, your brother told me. He's like, God. Yeah. yeah no, he, Warren tossed up his hands. Nice. Who told you? <laughs> Who told you? <laughs> Warren's great. I think Warren's really fun. I was waiting for him to like, like about face and be, turned out to, he's going to screw everyone over too. Because like, yeah. he was like, oh no, I was going to go over to get the, I was supposed to go get the uh, artifact. And I was like. Well, that predates, you know, all this about yeah. having to move the artifact. What do you mean you were going to move it? Yeah. What were you going to do with it? So I was just like, oh, wait, well, how far down does this go? <laughs> Traitors all the way down by I John know. Green. Right. <laughs> so that's what I was waiting for. for so I was tense to this whole yeah. thing, waiting for him to screw her over, and he doesn't. Yeah, but, but... She, she fills him in on what's going on and how she's pretty much the only safe one right now. And he's like... You're saying there isn't going to be a welcome back from your coma party? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later. If they get through this. Yeah. But yeah, because he says uh, that we have reason to believe the secret to Fablehaven might have been breached. But this is like two or three years ago. I was like, oh, crap. How long have things been going sideways? And they didn't even know. Yeah. Um, uh, Kendra has a crush on Warren because he's like in his like 20s and he's really cute. I mean, she only has to wait a few years. Oh, be as gross. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I thought that was, I don't know, I thought that was I wonder cute. if later books when she, because, I mean, how many more books is this? And she's already 14. Does she get legal eventually? Maybe right, but here's, here's the thing. <laughs> the first book took place over an entire summer. This is like a week. This is. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if there's a year between books two and three or if this just continues that summer because things have escalated so much. I don't know. I guess we'll find out next, uh, next year. I don't want to wait a year. <laughs> as soon as I finish it, I wanted to grab book three. Yeah, we gotta read it soon. Because I enjoyed this It's too. like, uh, which one of the Penderwicks had the crush on, what's his name? Sky? I don't, like, it was really cute, because she, like... Batty? It's not Batty. <laughs> Batty only likes her her wings and her dog. <laughs> Do you like boys or girls? I don't like boys or girls. I like birds and Netflix. Alright, we're, we're getting there. We are getting very close. During, like, lot, like really, like, um, act, this is all very action-heavy, so I don't really have a whole lot right. of commentary uh, for that. Yeah, the only other thing I want to say is uh, I like the concept of the sunstones. Uh, so there are these stones that light up the, when they go inside the inverted tower, there are these stones that light them up. And how it works is... And the stones are like, hmm, 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 hmm. <laughs> That's Billy Jean. <laughs> But how it works is that they they have, like, a parent stone that is somewhere else, like, on, on top of a hill or something that gets a lot of sunlight, and they're sharing that. And I just thought that it was just a fun little, like, magic tidbit. Billy Jean is... <laughs> have you seen the music video for Billy Jean? Yeah. Okay, good. Because you're looking at me like you don't get it. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time. But He's I've walking down it. the sidewalk, and when his, when his um, feet hit certain stones, they light up. Okay. Chapter 20. <laughs> The vault. Kendra and Warren pass through a room filled with mosaic monkeys, and then find themselves in a very deep room with only a small catwalk. At one end, they find batons that reverse gravity depending on which direction they're held. Important note, you can only hold one at a time, and if you let go of one, it will return to its home on the catwalk. 
It does its little turn on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a wand, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, wow, so much 90s. Good. They use these rods to navigate to a glass cat on a pedestal, which when touched turns into a real cat with a key at its neck. Warren takes the key and uses it to reveal a sword within the spear, giving them two weapons. The cat attacks, and Warren slays it, but it just regenerates as a larger, more monstrous cat. This cat is the vault, and it must be defeated in all its forms with the key weapons uh, before they can get to the artifact. I didn't like this. While Warren deals because they're killing cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd be there forever. <laughs> <laughs> While Warren deals with the vault, Vanessa and Errol, real name Christopher Vogel, but they keep calling him Errol. Well, yeah, because it's like what they know him as. It's yeah. Well, even she's calling him Errol. Well, because he says he says that he's it's gone. One of the a names lot. I have. That's the one my parents gave me. I'm like, that's the real one. <laughs> right, but I mean, that's like it's like that's his chosen name. You know, it's like go through a process where it becomes your name. Yeah, but he probably needs to keep changing it because he's a secret agent. Sneakrit agent? Yeah. He doesn't just secret, he's sneakrit. <laughs> Vanessa and Errol arrive and propose a truce until the vault is defeated. Yeah, whatever. Neither Warren nor Kendra like this plan. The vault attacks Errol, who drops his gravity baton, which really sucks if you remember how the batons work. He gets got. Vanessa insists on a truce and tells Kendra the truth of her betrayal in the name of once being her mentor. She was the one who corrupted Kendra's teacher, Miss Price, by having the kobold use an enchanted tack to put her to sleep then controlling the teacher to create a threat big enough for Kendra to accept Errol's help, which Vanessa could then rescue her from. The kobold Casey, of course, is a rising star agent as well. Warren reluctantly accepts Vanessa's help, uh, which goes all right until the beast's eighth form. By then, Warren is too wounded and poisoned and acided to fight on. Vanessa takes over, but is also wounded and loses her gravity rod. All looks lost, but suddenly Tanu and Coulter arrive. Tanu uses a potion to hulk out and defeat the cat beast's ninth life, at which point it turns into a teapot. Kendra touches the teapot, recharging its magic, and discovered it pours out a healing powder that cures everyone's physical wounds, as well as the magical albinism. The group heads back and out of the inverted tower, which has no more surprises, thankfully, and finds the sphinx awaiting them. When they go through the monkey room, and all of a sudden one of the apes is down, it's like running with the axe. I like laughed so hard just picturing that. Ah! Really? Like, what? I wrote new phobia. <laughs> Axe-wielding monkeys. So what happens is, uh, it's a mosaic it, monkeys. It's a way to disarm you. Yes, they will. They will take any of your weapons that aren't the key weapons, and if you insist on bringing more in, like just all the monkeys are going to attack you. Yeah, all, every, and, yeah. And, and um, Kendra was like, "Good thing you didn't yeah. have your gear because he'd been belly aching earlier." Like, if I had all my gear, yeah. we could do yeah. this. But like, apes can really mess you up. Like, they don't even need an axe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I was just. It just struck me as really, really funny, even though it'd be horrifying in real life. It's like, who gave it that? Yeah. <laughs> Kendra did. Um, I was really did, did, glad did. that the beast had nine lives. <laughs> I would just be there forever. It would never occur to me to, like, take the key off of, like, the key. I'd just be like, pets, yeah. all the pets, and it's, like, rolling on there. Right. I'm like, but yeah. That, uh, and they just find a skeleton holding the cat. I just had a question, and then I moved to my next points so that I could remember. And oh, and Errol shows up, and he's already injured because he picked up a piece of gold that was on the back porch, and Nero tracked him down. Yeah, <laughs> to get his that was gold great. piece back. <laughs> it's just so funny. 
when they were figuring out how to use the batons, were you just picturing the scene from uh, uh, Willy Wonka? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Because there are like there's like spikes on the ceiling instead of like a fan, yeah. and so they they're, they're like, ah, oh, we don't want to go too high, but we don't want to like drop too fast either, and so they were trying to. And Kendra Kendra panics and burps. (laughs) (laughs) But Kendra accidentally, she's like, I'm just going to test it out really gently. And then all of a sudden she's like, just. (laughs) And he's like, like, you're more of a dev devil than I thought. She's like, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) Uh, Once they take out the giant, I don't even know what it is by the end. It has like bat wings and like three heads. Yeah, it's not even a kitty uh, anymore. But by the end of it, I was like, good boss fight. Where's my Fablehaven game? Because I thought that'd be a fun little adventure game, like how they did, like, they did Harry Potter games oh, for all yeah. the movies. I thought okay. that would make a fun little. But yeah, so that's the, that's the vault. And the Sphinx is outside waiting for him. Yeah, there, there's like a whole battle, but it's like one of those things where, like, it's hard to discuss because it's like just right. action it's sequences. Just action. It's good to read. It's, it's totally fine for that, especially if you, like, like the action portions of fantasy stories, but there's not a whole lot for us to discuss. No. Basically, they fight. <laughs> yeah, which is like because it's it's the longest chapter because it has the most action. I was thinking like, you would be one. you'd be super satisfied with it because uh, how upset you were with like all the fairies showing up and just doing everything and then that's the end of it and you're all like ah! and you're like so upset about that and I was like well I mean they're earning every single inch they're getting here. <laughs> chapter twenty one, the quiet box. The Sphinx takes the artifact for study and recommends putting Vanessa in the quiet box in the dungeon as that is the only way to ensure she cannot control those she has previously bitten. He will oversee relocation of its current prisoner. The Sorensons attend Vanessa's imprisonment. Her final words are an apology for causing harm and a statement to Kendra that she remains her pen pal. She's locked up, the previous unidentifiable prisoner is taken away by the Sphinx, and everyone is safe and healthy again, except... Vanessa's last words stick with Kendra. That night, she sneaks into the dungeons with her Umite candle and visits the cell Vanessa was held in before the quiet box. There, she discovers a hidden message. Vanessa, through her unique gifts, had discovered the identity of the mysterious head of the Society of the Evening Star. It is the Sphinx himself. He has been playing the longest Kong, using the Society's textbook method of setting up a threat, then coming to the rescue to build trust. The old prisoner of the quiet box is a powerful ally, and he was able to spring him free while also silencing one of the only people who knew his secret. To top it off, He's now in possession of the teapot and maybe other artifacts as well. Vanessa no longer has any loyalty to the man who put her in the quiet box and hopes to still be of use to the Sorensons if they can bring themselves to release her. And that, and that reveal, I, this little, I drew a little shocked face. Like, <gasps> I, I got chills at the end of it just because I was like, I'm a, I'm a sucker for like big twists that I feel like are, are actually at least somewhat earned. So, like, the fact that he's already been building up the Sphinx since the letter in the first book, uh-huh. and then saying that they're one and the same, the leader of the the group of the Haven people, and... Because uh, it, builds, it builds on the pattern that has been established in this book, which is, what is the textbook society infiltration? Set up a threat, then come to the rescue in order to build trust. We keep seeing that, and it's it's more than just a, oh, he's using the same method. It's like, you need to understand, this is a vital way that they get information and get what they need is by doing this exact same thing so what's the leader gonna do the longest version of that possible and i just was like oh man oh man the real way to determine if they're your friend find out they'll help you move this is the exact sort of book that this is why i still read like middle grade fiction is for fun adventure romps that end up like just fun adventure stories that have more depth than 
you know, just picking up a James Patterson thriller or something. Like, there's more going on here, but it's just, uh, I'm so excited. And I know it's, I know it's not the best book we've read, but in terms of what I needed to read at that point, it's that was good. perfect. It, um, it's 400 pages, but I, I, I started it yesterday. Right. <laughs> and I finished it this morning. Yeah. I breezed through it. Yeah. It, because it, it, there's no plotting points plotting p-l-o-d-d-i-e right you know yeah like in the first one there kind of was like oh it rained so we just sat in the house painting pictures you know like that doesn't happen in this yeah it's just boom 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 yeah no it was just it was it was a lot of fun um it's when i rated it five stars it was like a it's the lowest five stars it's just that because i use a 10 point scale for my personal Mm -hmm. that like nines and tens end up being but like i thought that this was just a ton of fun because it's like you know, you can have, like, like with movies, you know, not every movie is trying to do the same thing. Yeah. A- Avengers is trying to do something totally different from, like, uh, you know, like, No Country for Old Men. Right. Both of them are phenomenal at what they're doing. This one is not trying to make you cry in the same way that, like, the thing about Jellyfish almost did. But in terms of telling a very good, tightly woven story mm-hmm. and stuff, it just, it worked so well. So that's why I gave it the rating that I did. I'm giving it four. Probably. Solid. But, it- yeah. Was, I mean, I, it, it, yeah, four, it and I, I didn't, like, I saw you gave it five, and I was like, far out. You know, I was <laughs> like, why five? Right. But I was just like, I can see why you gave it five. Just wasn't there for me, just for, like, the level of stress I was in. Right. <laughs> thinking Warren was going to be the next one to be all like, guess what, I'm evil too. You know, because yeah. there's been so many right. of those moments, and I was just so burnt out from yeah. it. But now we have fun new characters, like, we get to, we're going to get to know Warren more, and Tanu more, and stuff like that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe Coulter will retire so we don't have to deal with him anymore. <laughs> um. Um, I hope that there is a redemption arc for Vanessa that is, like, that actually feels earned. Because yeah. sometimes it's just like a, oh, she has information, and then they're just like, okay, fine. And they kind of forget that she did something. Uh-huh. But, like, if if he can pull it off where it feels like she genuinely has he made it. He probably could. So, He's a strong writer. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, we were talking originally about doing this once a year. I'm going to petition to do it maybe once every, like, four to six months until we get through them. <laughs> because I really want to know what happens next. <laughs> Me too, actually. <laughs> so, next month we're going to be reading So You Want to Be a Wizard by Diane Duane, which is, like, a classic average kid ends up with magic stuff going on yeah but um, people like Dwight, diane Dwayne. Yeah. yeah um we're gonna do that next so stay tuned <laughs> watch this space smash the like button <laughs> i said it before you kid hello fellow kids is hosted by mara and josh and produced by josh uh music provided by ben ash visit him online at benash.com uh if you would like to contact us Feel free to do so at hfkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at hfkpodcast. You can check us out on Goodreads, uh, Radio Public, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Um, you guys know about SoundCloud. You're there. Yeah, I, you, you all know about it because nobody listens <laughs> anywhere else. No, they don't. <laughs> uh, tell your friends. Leave ratings. Even if it's not a five-star rating, that's okay because at least it tells us something. And yeah, we will talk to you guys later. Bye.